Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Hi, David. I've heard glad to you, see the bird is back. I've heard that you have many things that you'd like to talk about in this episode. I do. I do. But we'd like to start with something that's very important first. For anyone that would like to email the I the um, yeah. email the group, I, I specifically uh, this person known as Done by Done with Heart on yes. uh, iTunes, <laughs> and we do appreciate this. By the way, this is even though that was a one star review. Um, I, I, he was, I appreciate- he's not giving us a one star. He said, "I'll I, I want you to give you my your email address so we can contact you directly, and right. then I'll change my review." And so the email address is questions at practicalguitarist.com. Yes. Um, if you don't listen to the header, which I know some people, I, I do it. it. I do that. There are certain um, YouTube channels. I just skip over it because it's like, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporter. Uh, and, and then it's like, um, I don't know if you guys. Or they up. list everybody that's in the Patreon and there's like 500 people. Yep. So this, this um, I can't remember what the, what the children's show was. It's like when I was three. So this was 1967. But it was this little thing where she goes, I see Jimmy and I see Carol and I see Brad and I see you are boring. (laughs) I'm a kid and I don't want to watch this. (laughs) I'm three and I'm bored already. I don't care what that kid's name is. So anyway, we're going to start today um, because uh, Stephen Conrady sent me a a video. I had seen the first video in this quote unquote series of things that beginners shouldn't buy. And um, this was by a YouTube channel. Um, I don't know. I don't really want to call them out, but <clears throat> so, but it's easy enough to YouTube uh, search it. You can search the video name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amps, amps for beginners, uh, guitars for beginners, and the personal pop up. Very popular um, uh, YouTube artist uh, with some people. And um, so the first thing that. You know, they, they recommended or said uh, amps to avoid for beginners. And I'm going to go, over, I'm going to read real quick, real fast. Computer amps, amps with headphone jacks, you should have. So not, and you should always computer have one amps. of them. Computer amps. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Giant tube amps, you should avoid those. Um, 
You should have combo amps, not head and, and cabinet. Kemper and Axe effects, you should avoid those. And starter amps, like those little, you know, $20 amps. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just go right into this because I know, you know, believe it or not, it wasn't as as flaming as as it, I'm making it sound because actually he said, play with whatever you got. He said this in both of them. But then he then he got kind of but then he proceeds to be like, you know, just basically don't buy anything. But don't buy anything that's this really good. No, just don't buy anything. He basically systematically, Jim, he systematically excluded anything you can buy. Literally anything. Don't buy a boss katana head because you're not good enough for it. Don't buy a um, a, a Marshall, uh, you know, tube amp because you're just not good enough. You need headphones because you suck and your parents don't want to hear you practice. That's pretty much what he said. I wouldn't buy an amp with a headphone out on it at all. He got condescending. Well, I thought oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He got really condescending. But but oh. my 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 whole thing. And I try not to spill my water here. Um, my whole thing. I I even when you listen to them off like right now, I'm just kind of like ticking off the check boxes. I'm like no computer amps. So that basically takes all the digital stuff off the table, right? Yeah. No, no large amps. So that leaves like what like high rod deluxes and stuff like that, which are I would I would call them loud. I would call um, them yeah. And then he says, no head and cabinet. He yep. says, no starter amps. What the hell are you supposed to buy? Right. What are you supposed to buy? And then, and then he proceeded to go, I'll tell you what you should, prob- you should buy. And then the only thing he mentioned was the G-Deck. Oh, gross. The Fender G-Deck. He's like, gross. This is a great amp. But that's a, that's a computer amp. <laughs> I said, here's a guy who does clinics. And he goes out. Um, yeah, exactly. Dan, um, he goes out and, uh, says, you know what? Um, you should come to my clinic. And what does he do at a clinic? He plugs in a, um, a a computer. He doesn't play through real amps at clinics unless he's doing a clinic for an amp seller. And, and him and, uh, there's a few other ones that are playing these Bola guitars. I have never seen anybody ever ask me, should I buy a Vola? I have not seen one person playing a Vola outside of these people that are shilling for them. Now, I, I, I look, I don't care about his endorsements. I, I, this is not an endorsement driven thing. He, he, I, he put together a piece of content that wasn't clear. Right. And so for what it is, it's just not clear. Um, I honestly think that this conversation is more about the fact that uh, things to keep in mind when you're buying your first amp, that really yeah. should have been the conversation. It's like, don't buy a big amp because you're not, you know, you don't know if you're going to stick with it and you really don't right. want to have something that's too big and too cumbersome. Right. It doesn't allow you to do the, you know, and I get it. Don't spend a lot of money on your first amp. Right. Telling somebody not to buy a computer amp for their first amp. That's like, well, maybe if you mean Axe Effects or Helix or something like that, but those aren't amps. Those are modelers. No, they're modelers. My, my I mean, my personal opinion on this, if we were going to, if we were going to make this piece of content would be, here are the things to avoid. And then here's three amps that we would suggest you look into, depending on what your musical tastes are. And what your, what your, um, uh, your space and and monetary limitations are. But if you told me you only had a hundred dollars for an amp, I would tell you to go get a Boss Katana Mini. Yeah. I mean, why not? Um, or even a Black Star Fly and save 40 bucks, save 40 bucks so you can buy a bigger amp when you need it. Um, I, I just, 
if I were to say, I would say the, the Katana Mini is a great first option for people on a budget. Yep. I would say if you've got a little bit of money to spend, um, just a regular old Katana, <laughs> either the 50 or 100 would probably be would probably serve you very well. Um, and if you're going to do that, you, you do owe it to yourself to check out the other digital offerings from companies like Bender and, and Marshall and, and Line 6. But, the, but you said something to me earlier, Jim, that I think you hit on that was really important, which mm-hmm. is that find something you like the sound of. Right. I mean, don't just buy it because some guy says either do it or don't. Like, right. pick what you like. I mean, and we, you and I both know, because we're experienced guitar players, depending on what your goals with guitar are, different pieces of equipment become different options. If your Absolutely. goal is to play heavy metal, um, you're not going to buy a Fender Blues Jr. You to buy a 10-inch combo. Right. You're not going to go out and buy a Blues Jr. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I'm I'm generalizing so much that I know I'm kicking myself in the ass because I know there are 10-inch combos that do a really good job at that. Um, right. I haven't seen any that I can think of offhand, but I'm sure somewhere out there, there's some ass-kicking little 10-inch speaker that just, you know, sounds great. I'm sure. Um, so don't, ex- <clears throat> don't limit yourself to what these guys on YouTube are saying. Go find something that actually works for you. Absolutely. And then there was guitars beginner. I didn't even bother to watch that. And there was only one that I actually agreed with. If you're an absolute beginner. Yeah. I, wrote, I figured that was going to come avoid up. The, avoid that. But P90s. He said, avoid P90s because they're, they're microphonic and loud. And they have that hiss. I'm like, that's I the reason yet to play it. not avoid it. I have yet to play a pair of P90 pickups that are microphonic. Yeah, that was. Almost all well, of them are potted. Nowadays they're potted and they and they and they're good. But anyway, um, a budget box guitar. What's wrong with that? If you're a beginner, what's wrong with starting with a budget box? Well, depending on what it is. I mean, if they're talking about first act, yeah, that's that's, one a, that's thing. a different thing. But if, buy I mean, a guitar from a music store that's reasonably inexpensive. Right. I mean, I will I will give you that. What can you expect from a hundred dollars for the guitar amp, pet, strap, picks, you know, everything else? You can't really expect a lot. But if you're a beginner and that's what you get and that's all you have. What do you need as a beginner? Strings, a fretboard, and some pickups. <laughs> I kind of I, I kind of ex- um, agreed with the extended range. I don't think a seven string or an eight string is good for a beginner. No, probably uh, not. Probably not. Well, I mean, maybe if you're like, if, if your goal when you're starting guitars, I want to play corn songs, then get a seven string. Right. But that, that's what I was just going to say. But if your goal is up in there in the seven string category, you're a, you're a heavy, heavy metal player and you you want to be doing that, that then not having it is kind of silly um and the last one i thought i thought was very surprising an acoustic that a, a beginner should avoid an acoustic i was like what eh i kind of agree I, though jim i go no i go both ways on that and i'll tell you yeah, why I go both ways on that. It, it, well and it has to do with what your goals are that's right <clears throat> if you're out there let's face it most people are trying to be either taylor swift or ed sheeran right and so in all reality i mean and they're trying to do their their um, indie rockers, and most of these indie rockers and these 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 people are putting out acoustic records. And and why would you not start an acoustic? You're, unless you you'd spend a ton of money on a piezo system yeah, for an yeah, electric, yeah. where piezo systems are built into most acoustics. Yeah, but even, I mean, even under three hundred dollars. If you're looking to actually learn the instrument long term, I would not and, and and really want to go into like different genres and stuff. And you know that up front, like. Sometimes I want to play blues. And I want to play jazz. And I want to play like, just get yourself an electric. It doesn't matter really. In the beginning, I would say 
doesn't even really matter what kind of electric guitar it is. I would recommend a Telecaster for most beginners because they're dirt simple and learn on that. And then, then you can start making choices about where you should go because you may not know if you're, if you're that open to it. If, you're, if your goal is to learn to play guitar and not right. to learn to play this style of music on guitar, then right. that's when you want to look something general like a Telecaster or a Stratocaster. Yep, um, I agree. A, te- a Telecaster, a Stratocaster, some inexpensive Epiphone, a Schecter, an iPhone. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, we could go on for days on which ones to pick. I, honestly, I mean, I'm, and I'm not down on the guy because he did, you know, he kind of sounded sincere when he said, well, what you got is what you got and stuff. But it just came across as kind of douchey when he went, you know, he went, well, you're not as good as me because I have this and I have that. And I have another thing and these, I, and I do them so well. And I don't even own a starter guitar. Well, whoop de doo you know, I mean, it's, it kind of came across, even though he didn't mean it to, I'm sure he didn't mean it to, it came across a bit douchey to me that, that it, it just, it was like, you're not good enough. To I, do think, it. I, I, I think he was being genuine as far as he can. And so yeah, for, for yeah. him to be genuine means that, you know, sometimes people have personality quirks people don't like. I mean, look That's at right. me, everybody thinks I'm an asshole. So, oh, most people, I'm a, a giant douchebag. So I, and if you knew me in person, you'd know I was a giant douchebag. No, I don't, I do, I don't think you measure up to Bono. <laughs> I'm trying a giant turd, <laughs> but um, I, I saw that South Park. Yes. Um, but okay. So something I, I want, I wrote down specifically because when I met my uh, daughter was born, our first child was born. Um, she came uh, premature. And when she came out, everybody was like, she's a preemie. Don't everybody from the, from the social workers to the doctors, to everyone said, don't run out and buy preemie clothes. Don't run out and buy premium. Yeah. You know why? Because you're not there that long. And I want to say that about a beginner. Don't, you're not going to be a beginner that long. Three months, six months, whatever it is you get. And that's why I think these rules are kind of other than the Floyd Rose thing. And yeah, you probably shouldn't get a 200 watt head or whatever. But other than that, I mean, these things are, you're only a beginner for about six months. You're intermediate after that. You may be beginning intermediate or low end intermediate, but you're still intermediate. Hell, I'm 57 years and I'm intermediate. 47 yeah, years. I mean, I'm, I'm intermediate as well. I mean, but I would never call myself advanced in any way, shape, or form. I think, well, I think I, I had this conversation with uh, Dan Kish the other night. And I said, you know, I said, people who think they're good at guitar rarely are. And yep. it's the people who like pursue guitar as a method of learning throughout their lives that, really are the people that like know what they're doing. It doesn't mean that they're good or they're great. I mean, even right. your, your professional guitar players, yeah, they're better than us, but the reality is that's because they're constantly trying to evolve and learn. Absolutely. And any good guitar player, I mean, look at, I'm taking this out of guitar context, but it was a great interview with Neil or on uh, Neil Peart. And Neil Peart said, uh, you know, he was taking drum lessons. And here's a guy that, on. He was taking drum lessons. This yeah, was why would he need them? <laughs> he should be teaching them. <laughs> this was in the nineties and two thousands, and he's taking drum lessons. This is a guy that that definitely knew the drums, and yet he also knew you never know everything. It's, it's a constant. It's a constant pursuit, and absolutely. that's the way I look at it. I'm sure that's the way you look at it, Jim. So yeah, I do. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, I just I just think that um, it's important to remember that you're only a beginner for a certain amount of time. So if you're if it's your first guitar and you're trying things out and stuff, yeah, you want to kind of smartly you should. But let me tell you something. If you're 50 years old or you're 45 years old, you decided to pick up the guitar, you, you make $100,000 a year, you make $70,000 a year, you've got $8,000 to burn and you want to buy that 
a custom Les Paul and a, um, a, you know, a, a bass. That's of your first instrument that you want to do? Nobody, nobody should be telling you no. That is so hot. I mean, if it, I know people who live in New York City who finally retire, they never owned a car. Yeah. So when they when they leave the city, they buy like the nicest car you've ever seen in your life, and they're like, yeah, I don't know how to shift. Yeah, the they're like driving it off the lot, and the, the dealers <laughs> have to show them how to drive stick or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've never driven. They've got a license. They don't. They're driving on a permit. <laughs> I mean, so this does happen, and you know, you gotta you gotta take that with the with the salt that it you know that it deserves, and and um. Again, I, I'm not down. I, I think Robert Baker is probably an awesome. Everybody's situation is really different. And that's ultimately what we're getting at. And that's what, yeah, that's what I was trying to get. And, and that's what we need to be. So remember, whatever you get and what you can make noise with and what makes you pick up that guitar, whether it's because it's a color purple or because it's it's super light or because you like the way it feels with hands. How did you guess, Jim, the color purple? It is color purple. Whatever it is. That makes you pick it up. That's what helps you to learn. So that's that's the awesome thing. That's what I get. I think Jim completely missed what I was trying to tell him, but that's okay. I know he did, <laughs> and I'm talking about myself, but I didn't miss it. Uh, I saw the movie. No, I, no, we're not talking about the movie. Oh, and I really don't know. <laughs> You'll get it oh, later. Oh yeah, I completely missed that. Yep, that one went really small part like of. Yeah, it, it's very small actually. All right, so moving right along. Um, is that your pinky? All right. Uh, are you just happy to see me? Um, so a list, a uh, 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 um, regular, uh, contributor to the, to the, uh, group, Jay Wells had an epiphany this week and he, um, he said, uh, that it was, he had got his first really good guitar and first really good amp. And he wanted to thank us for some recommendations we made and some first of the stuff we talked about. You don't have to thank us. Look, we had nothing no. to do with it. That's right. We exposed you to things maybe you hadn't thought about doing before. It's not. <laughs> it's not like we. It's not like we like woke up in the morning. And we're like we're going to expose ourselves to Jay, and then he's going <laughs> to do something for us. That's not. Like, that's not what happened there. It was a hot Cosby. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Let's never talk about Cosby on this show again. That's done. Oh my god! Oh, it's terrible. Yes. What are you talking about? He is a terrible individual. He is. That's that's the truth. He's that going to it. prison. So yep, yep. Where it belongs. That's where people like that belong. But on the other, but um, on a on a serious note, yeah, no, you, Jay, you did the thing. You did the right thing. Um, I, I thought that, uh, you know, when you thanked us, I, I, I appreciated it. It's very humbling to uh, to hear that. But um, I, I, and I gotta say, you got some, you got some killer stuff, man. You got a new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a tube amp, and now you know what we mean when we say a tube amp is a tube amp. Yeah, and the and the modelers don't do it. Yeah, I mean they, we talked about today, Jim. Like my Mark Five is not as good as my Helix. It's it's just not. <laughs> uh, wait, did I say that right? Uh, my Helix yeah, is not as good as Mark Five. <laughs> there was um, kind of backwards. Yeah, well, I did it on purpose, but I know. I know. Um, no, but but you know what. Uh, to be honest with you, like we actually do follow along with people in the group, like what they have. And yep. we, we know you guys like, I mean, as well as you can for somebody online. Um, right. And, and as the group continues to grow, and I know that's going to become more difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I see somebody like who's basically taken it upon themselves to change their gear life. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Like yeah. to be honest with you. Um, I, I am a practical player. 
Um, and I think tube amps are still pretty practical. Yeah. And so well, for what they it's are. worth, I mean, uh, I think, yeah, they're practical. And yeah. check them out. I mean, like, what, what did he end up buying for an amp? I don't remember. It was a Bugera. I want to say it was oh, the yeah, 20- the, the, the Bugera. Uh, I think it was a V22. If Jim, uh, if I think that's right, serves me, and those are gr- good little amps. I had um, one. Yeah, I, I've played. Uh, actually, one of my uh, uh, one of my friends has one, and uh, it's it's a good little amp. Actually, we're really shocked. It it sounds pretty good compared to his Princeton. And um, the only thing is, I've heard a little bit of reliability stuff about him. But if you have one of the Infinium versions, a lot of those things are supposed to be ironed out anyway. Right. The early ones, they, they got a bad rap because the early ones literally caught on fire. Some it was kind of like some of them did. Yeah. Not, yeah, not all of them, but it was like the early Samsung phones there two, two uh, versions ago that caught on fire your pants because of the battery issues. They didn't all catch fire and they've worked past those bugs out. Obviously it's the yeah. same thing with the uh, Infiniums. Apparently there was a tube socket issue or something. And so yeah, they were arcing across a tube socket or something like that. Yeah. You know, it may just been a board layout issue. It may, yeah. I mean, it may have been something simple like that that they yeah. corrected in a further version. But anyway, all that stuff gets revised. I mean, Bagheera yeah. still around. So yeah. if Bagheera wasn't putting out a, a quality enough product that people were buying them, they wouldn't be around anymore. That's uh, right. A la B-52. Remember, remember yep. those guys? Yep, um, those guys are gone. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but... Understand that that Bugera is a clone, I believe, a matchless. So if you I get, you, get your hands yeah. to try out an actual matchless, I'd love yeah. to hear how it compares. Yeah, yeah, that was. I've heard they're really good in comparison to the matchless for the amount of money. So yeah, and the Bugeras are really good for for the money. I've got to say, bucks or something. I mean, they're yeah, they're insanely cheap. Insanely cheap. Yeah, used one you can get for. Almost nothing. And you can I get almost, I've almost bought their Marshall Plexi clone a couple of times. Yeah. What is that? Four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars? Yeah, it's like stupid Ridiculous. cheap. Ridiculous cheap. You can't what, touch the Marshall version for under three thousand. Yep. What you're getting? Awesome. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. The. Um. Uh. So he got a Bugera and he got himself a, um, a Santana PRS SE with in a matte black, and you can tell it has not been played. Yeah, that happens thing is really cool that, looking. Oh yeah, it's really killer. Um, with that matte black, is as you play it, it's gonna sh- it's gonna shine up where your arm touches and where you play. It uh, also so wear faster where the pick hits it too. So yep. you're gonna get some pretty cool wear in that thing. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna years. look that that thing will wear awesome. So you 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 know in three or four years that thing's gonna start looking as long as you're playing it pretty regularly, it'll start looking like a real the main thing is gear inspires people. And I know people don't see, we were going back to the beginner guitar argument. People don't really seem to understand that. Like when you get a new piece of gear, you might spend three or four hours just messing around with it. Right. And during that three or four hours, you're going to come up with things. And that's a huge part of the way that I play guitar, which is like, yeah, I've got all this gear. I have a lot of things I don't play a lot with. I've only plugged this 50, 50, 50 and maybe four or five times. But I know when I finally start do using it, like I'm going to really get into it and it's, that's going to get me playing. Yeah. So for a lot of people just buying a new guitar like that, uh, it gets you playing. And for some people, they just flip guitars. So, right. And, and, and then the next guitar is the best guitar they ever owned. Yeah. Best guitar they ever owned is the last one they had. And the next one they're getting John Bollinger, 
from Premier Guitar. That's what he does. He actually, and I read this on PremierGuitar.com where they talk about how he's got like four or five different guitar slots in his arsenal. And yep. the next, the, when he sees a guitar that's better than the one he has, he sells the one he has and he gets the other one. Another one. So, yeah. So what I do is usually, I mean, now I've got a little more um, choices, but uh, I look at my wall and I go, which one do I want to pick up today? Yeah. And it's not about some, it, I'm just practicing parts. So I could care less about the quote unquote tone. Um, I just pick up the guitar that, that, you know what, I'm going to play the SG today. Um, you know, or I'm just going to play, I'm going to play the, the um, Floyd Rose or the not Floyd Rose or the, um, sure, the sure. Telecaster now or the, the RG. And so it's, it's just one of those things I, I do. And sometimes I pick up the acoustic and mess around with that because I don't want to p- plug in an amp and I don't want to do all that stuff. So it just depends. So it is nice to have a couple of guitars laying around different colors, feel and so forth makes you, makes you want to do things differently. Um, yeah. And along with that, moving right along. Well, um, today folks, I have notes. So I'm dangerous. So it might actually seem like we, we know what we're doing today. Today's random trivia. I want to do weekly random trivias. Random trivia for today. Zach Wilde's original design for his bullseye guitar, Les Paul, was actually a screw-up. Yeah. Dare I say fuck-up by the artist. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be the vertigo symbol. Yes, the vertigo. like The thing that coils from the outside. You know, you used to have umbrellas, you'd spin them, and it looks like it was constantly yeah. better. Um, but the artist didn't do it properly. I think it had something to do with the pickups and the way the twirl didn't quite work. He goes, Oh, this will look a lot better. And he handed him a bullseye, which basically meant that he fucked up and he realized it. And he was like, Oh, here you go. Whoops. So yeah, hopefully I I don't know if Zach paid him or not, but the artist didn't do it properly. That's why the new wild guitars actually have the vertigo. Yeah. Yeah. And I just noticed that because heading for those who don't know, Paul Henning's channel Henning is Pauly. going to be giving away Henning Paul. Sorry, Henning Polly. Henning Polly. You're absolutely right. That's right. So Etsy Pie um, on uh, uh, YouTube. You should look it up. And him and uh, Robert Baker, um, they have this unboxing surprise. Surprise! They're going to give away like 14 Schecters, 12 Schecters. There's a pie, and they are not crap guitars. So no. you get a chance. Check out the channels, get in on it, and get your get your name. Speaking of giveaways, yes. And speaking of giveaways, which is where I was rolling to next, we are having a giveaway. So Monday of, oh, which is tomorrow, um, which I guess you guys will be listening to that um, first, folks. Will be listening to that probably today to you. Um, the pickups will come to me for the um, RG. They're, they're humbuckers. I've seen the pictures of them, and they look completely awesome. So thank you to Nick Bongers. Uh, and these pickups will be giving, will be, um, I'll be demoing them, and then we're going to give them away. Yep. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your uh, cousins. Yeah, we're going to give you details in the near future of the actual giveaway terms and conditions, but expect to connect with us on Facebook and with uh, Nick on Facebook uh, via his his uh, company's site, and also with um, 
maybe on Instagram, Twitter, other things. So there's going to be a little bit of that. And there's going to be a little bit of scavenger hunt. There will be some, we're going to have a message. We don't want this to be just a, oh, here, take these. And we we want want open engagement with our members. Right. We want you guys to, to enjoy it. So there'll be things that you'll do. I mean, it won't be anything like, um, you know, won't be the same. Like we'll have a message and then you have to go and post it in two places. Or something like that. Yeah, or you know, so, but and yeah. then we we'll, and then you'll be entered in a drawing, so it's all fair. It's not about you know who does it faster or anything like that. But it is, yeah, that's yeah. We don't want to be oh the first person that answered the question correctly or the first person that that shared this out to ten people. You know, I mean, if if people can share um, uh, angel photos on Facebook, like angels are sitting there going, I wonder what on Facebook. To, oh look, there's a picture of me. Um, you could you could probably share our our stuff. But anyway, <laughs> so the ne- um, again, thanks to Nick Bongers at Great Lakes Pickup, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. I'll get this right before the end of the year. Custom Great, guitar. Great Lakes Custom Guitar Pickups. I, I will say that the ones that are coming, they're, they're PAFs, right? PAF clones? Uh, sort of. They're modern PAFs. Modern PAFs. Not potted. So these things are going to be really cool. Really cool. Looking forward to putting them in the Ibanez RG. Um, the, uh, so I got some help. And uh, this, will be, this will be cool. This will be fun. Um, today begins my year, actually two years of no gear. But it, did, it ended with a bang. It ended with a bang that my bank account said, you better not spend a whole lot of money. The next Wait a minute. Days. Wait a minute. How long did this one last? Uh, well, this one's going right now. It just lasted a day. Yeah. It, it lasted a whole day because I, I didn't buy anything yesterday. All right. So it ended with a bang, though. That's what I wanted to get at. So my, my year of, not, of, of what I was supposed to not buy here um, ended quickly. So I just want to say I called it. Yeah. Two years. Two years, folks. Two years. Two hours. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm hoping for three. Uh, my bank account says it's going to last at least until Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, it, it it ended with I have uh, for those who didn't see uh, pictures in the group, I have a flyer uh, Kelly that I got, and I'll be getting some Kelly pickups possibly in March. Uh, so that's going to be good, huh? but that will be, that will be not for me. That will be for the giveaway. Um, and, uh, I have a, a brand new, still has the, um, uh, the cardboard thing over the handle. Boss Katana 100, one by 12. And I have my TC electronics G system that we, I think we've discussed on the show before. We're going to discuss a little bit more today because I called David in a panic saying, I am an idiot. Please help me. And he was right. Or I was right. I was an idiot. And oh, shit. What was the other thing? It was one other thing. It's not important. It's going on. It's just a bunch of crap. (laughs) None of it's important. This is guitar. None of this shit's important. Oh, wait. I got this. I got this uh, for 70 cents. I got this Plano um, pick. You still didn't tell people what you're talking about in the background. Jim bought a Telecaster, everybody. Jim yeah. bought a Telecaster. Jim bought a Telecaster. That's what's weird. That is very strange. Jim bought a Telecaster. It's right a shitty Telecaster. 
No, it's not. It was. Okay, so it was dropped. For those who don't know, it was, no, a, no, no. It was a scratch and dent. Quality level of that Telecaster is shit. Yes. But then again, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this about Telecasters. I don't it's care. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's a block of wood with another block of wood that's called the neck, and it's got some strings on it. Um, so it's a Telecaster, right? I mean, that's, that's really what a Telecaster Formal, is. A neck plate, a neck, and a body with that's right. you know, the pickups, bare minimum hardware. Two pickups. A volume, a, a tone, and a freaking uh, selector switch, and that's it. And to be honest with you, it sounds it sounds pretty decent. I, I put it through the rigor. I'll I'll put up some tone stuff, um, but it uh, it's got a maple neck, which is actually something I wanted. I told David I was looking for stuff. The problem is, for some reason, every time I find a maple neck, I don't have money. When I have money, I find freaking um, rosewood necks all day long. And it's not because of oh you love the tone of a maple neck. I just like the look of a maple neck. I like the feel of it. I don't give any shit. Keep talking, Jim. I gotta step away for a minute. That's all right. So the Telecaster, um, it's blonde. Um, it, it was a scratch and dent from Guitar Center. I went to bring it back because <laughs> that's what I do. Um, I went to bring it back so I could get something else. And uh, unfortunately, you can't return scratch and dents. Surprise, Jim! Your first scratch and dent. I did not know that. So there's a there's a little guitar center return policy um, thing is they don't take back scratch and dents. But what they did do for me, they didn't have to do because I only paid one hundred forty dollars for this guitar. Was they took it apart <clears throat> um, and they uh, set everything up for me. So the the and the it, it, luckily um, the guy at uh, Virginia Beach Guitar Center uh, who does repairs is a good friend of mine uh, because he said give me that and he pulled it apart. And he tightened everything down and put everything back together and uh, tuned it back up. And it sounded great. <laughs> it was like, and of course, he's like, a, you know, he's just this incredible player. He, um, he's one of those guys that, you know, he works at a guitar center, but he should be doing something else. Um, but uh, which is playing guitar. He's an awesome guy, awesome individual and awesome, awesome player. Um, and so I want to give Johnny a shout out. <clears throat> so. It now it, it plays better than it did the day I bought it, and it's been dropped because because the and somebody asked me the, the manager came in. He goes, "What were you doing eating your guitar?" I said, "No, I bought it this way." Which they and all the, know you. Here's a big chunk out the back. Oh uh, so, yeah, I think you should just drill some random fucking holes in it. I'm gonna start fucking it up. There's so there's no question about that. But I like the uh, you know what sucks. I, I was talking about the color. I, I want to keep that color. I'm sorry. Wait, relieve it. Two inch holes, two inch auger bit, and you're ready to go. Turn it into freaking Swiss cheese. Um, I can't, I can't fuck with it too much um, before Nick sends me the pickups because I want them to be in a. Then I'll start. But I will do something with that pick guard. I can't stand the black pick guard. That is so boring. Look at that. Yeah, I think actually, I think it's a good look for that guitar. Do you? Yeah, with the cream, with the with the with the butterscotch color. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I was thinking maybe a, a wilder, like blue or, but maybe I do definitely need to change the nut. The nut's a piece of crap. Yeah, then that's. But I don't have to change it right away because it's working. But you and I both know that nut's gonna. Be yeah. the first thing. Are you gonna put bone on it? I don't really see any tonal benefit to bone. I think we talked about this show before. There isn't. No, I, I know people. Yeah, but I know people think there is. Like. Nope, it's not for tonal benefit. I only want to put a nut on it that's going to last. Because no, no, I know well, it's lasting. Yeah, bone, bone will last, but 
I mean, so will uh, I use GraphTech. I mean, that's yeah, uh, GraphTech would be fine. Yep. Anyway, um, it's not the same stuff, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. What's our next topic? All right, our next topic is we're just moving right along tonight. I'm telling you, I'm gonna have to take a bird walk. The next topic is Jim was an idiot. Oh, you, you sure were. You sure so, were, man. He calls me up this morning. And I'll tell the story from my perspective. He, he, yeah. he sends me a Facebook message, right? And he says, just David, he's like, I've got a problem. Help. And I responded and I said, what's going on? What did you blow up? And then he, he calls me on Skype and uh, I ask him, what did you blow up? And he goes, I didn't blow up anything. I promise. And <laughs> so he takes me over to his, his um, effect processor unit and his amp be the camera. And he's showing me all the ins and outs. Um, because he's running four cable and what's happening is he's hitting, uh, he's hitting the amp and it's clean. He's not getting any of the preamp sound coming out of the amp. Uh, he's on the dirtiest channel with the gain turned all the way up and it's clean, you know, right. So then he takes the cable and he plugs direct and he shows me, okay, so this is how it's supposed to work. And what does work when you do it? So long story short, uh, we go through this whole troubleshooting session and I tell him, I said, the loop you are using is not engaged for, for the four cable method. If right. you're not familiar with what four cable is, what it allows you to do is it takes the modeler input. Uh, actually, you plug into the modeler. The modeler sends a send into the front end of your amp. The return comes back into the return on your um, model. Actually, it comes into the, the return on your modeler. And then you have another loop that uh, in the in the effects loop where the sudden return come into back into the modeler. So basically, what this allows you to do allows you use your preamp like a pedal, like a like a drive pedal, right. and then you can turn it on and off using the modeler, or you can uh, reroute things in front of it or behind it in the modeler. Yep, that's the idea. Um, and so when I he's he's saying oh it's clean it's only clean I'm going you're running direct into the to the loop into the return on the amp which is what's causing that. And you're skipping all of that other loop that actually is doing the, uh, is handling the preamp. So what we found out was um, the manual he had for his, uh, is it G system or is it the? Yes. Yep. The manual he had for his G system is for like the early release. And yeah. then he's got, he's like five versions yeah. higher than that. And they changed the name of the setting he's looking for, which <laughs> and the location of it, which makes yep. it even better. We, fu- we found it real quick. We turned on and all of a sudden it starts working. And yep. Jim is freaking out because he's like, I feel like such an idiot. Why couldn't I figure that out myself? And, and I'm just sitting there going, you don't really use 4K ball that much. Like you've never run into this before. No, I've run into this many a time. <laughs> right. So, the, uh, okay. So 4K ball, um, uh, first I'll talk to the 4K ball that I Yeah, because I described it very poorly. <laughs> right. And then I'll, I'll, I'll describe this. So normally what I do is I go from my, um, guitar into my drive pedals from my drive pedals out to the front end of the amp from the center of the amp into any um, color stuff mods, delays, delays reverbs because um, he does it wrong, mods yeah, I didn't, uh, it, yeah, it's not mods, it's modulators but, you no, know, even your modulation bells, you do it wrong yeah, and then um, out of that, into a boost pedal the boost pedal goes back to the return of the amp, and that way I can boost the signal you know, and, and, the, and it affects it the way I want because if you put a booster before the front end of the amp and you're already saturating, guess what's going to happen? It's not going to do anything. Unless you, unless you want to gain boost. Right. 
So I put the gain, I put the boost behind it into the effects loop. So all it is is a clean boost. It literally just turns the volume up. So <clears throat> that's the whole effect. That's that's the effect I want from my boost. If I want that, you're right. I would boost like overdrive, driving the amp harder. I would put it to the front end. But that would be, you know, again, that's that's not what I would put. So anyway, so in this. What I didn't realize is, and this is this is something that this thing does that some of the modelers do and some of them don't, is the send return is really just another loop which can be turned on and off. And so, as David explained, you go into the you go into the effects processor, you come out um, of the send of the amp into the front end of the amp, mm -hmm. and then the front end of the amp goes back to the return of the loop. So now what's happened is everything that's front end is my filter, my compressor is in a loop on this is, right is in one loop and, and all my dirt pet pedals, which effectively is the same thing I was doing already. Mm -hmm. And that's all into the front end of the amp. Now the, the return of the or the send of the amp goes into return. I know that can be confusing of the um, uh, effects processor. And then the output of the effects processor goes to the return of the amp. And that way, that, that is where I've got my modulation, my pitch, my delay, my reverb, and my boost. Um, so <clears throat> now all those color things are in, are in there. But anything like a wad, something like that, you're going to put into the front end of the, typically in the front end, your filter effects, things like that. So anyway, um, what I didn't realize is this thing can be treated like it's got five loops. It says four, but the insert, um, which is your said return, fifth loop. is a fifth loop. So, and I can turn it on and off, which now that I know that, now that can be a clean, dirty, click, clean, click, dirty, click, clean, click, dirty, just like that. Pretty cool, right? Yep. Without having to change into my clean, sick, clean channel, I can yeah. go to the lead channel on this thing. The like, cool part is the programmability. So you can change like three or four things at once. Yeah. And that's why I love modelers is yep. that I have very complicated changes. I want to do time. You know, I don't want to just turn on a drive pedal. I want to turn on a drive pedal, a modulation pedal and kick on the wall. You know, like it's <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know some people, that's what they do when they, when they go to a lead, all they do is click on their boost. I want, I want delay. I may want more reverb or a different reverb. I want, um, I may want a different drive pedal or a different um, uh, distortion. Um, so all these things need to change. They got to change at the same time. And I am not interested in tap dancing my way into a solo. Or trying to get those three pedals like right together on your board so you can, you can use the big ass and put the hit all three of them at once. <laughs> I've done this. We've all done this. At some point, we've all tried to attempt this. Right. So this thing allows me to, I can turn them on and off individually if I want, but it allows me to set a patch to go turn all these things on at once, turn all these things off at once. Which is cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the benefit for modeling for me. I mean, obviously the studio application is that you can have all these sounds at your fingertips, um, knowing how to use them, knowing what's a good sound. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, yeah, is, that's our next topic. Um, well, yeah, well, let's go ahead and segue. So I got the Helix. I don't have the G system. Right. And I run four cable with mine. Actually, I run five or six cables in some cases because yeah. <laughs> I'm running, a, you know, I'm switching my amp with the Helix. I'm doing other things that go along with it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be switching too. 
I'm typically a rock player, like more of a bluesy rock player, you know, think Jimi Hendrix and that kind of stuff. Um, and as I start to play other styles of music and things, I suddenly realized that I've been playing a lot of metal lately. Uh, I don't know how to make a good metal tone and it's kind of embarrassing. And I'm slowly like easing my way into understanding it, what, what makes up a good metal tone. Now, and, while you've been saying this, I've been looking because um, for those who don't know, Dan Kish is sitting here actually watching. Yeah, he's rolling his eyes at me, I'm sure. And I'm sure he's rolling his eyes right now going, yeah, Dave, you don't know metal. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he he has his shit together. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know, if you're in the Patreon, we have a live studio audience. Uh, yes. <laughs> you can always reach out to us. We'll get you on the show so you can watch if you're in the Patreon. Right. Uh, it costs as little as a dollar. So That's if you really want to support the show and if you like watching and you think you'd like to watch this as it's you know being recorded, uh for sure, you know, join the Patreon for a buck. And you get and the it, you get the pre-show, the pre-show stuff. Yeah, the and the post show, because we always banter for 10 minutes afterwards. Um the the main thing is in thinking about other genres, yep. I don't I don't know that I could tweak my helix to sound like a jazz amp. I don't know that I could tweak my helix to do. Um, I'm trying to think like other like roots rock sound. Those will just aren't my thing. Like I kind of know if I'm doing a roots rock thing, like I want like a Fender Champ, you know, kind of thing. But I don't necessarily know like where I'd set it, right? And what kind of microphone I'd want to use in front of it, and like all those questions. Um, they're easy enough to answer. Go find a tone in a record you like, play it. Play the helix along with it, tweak it until it sounds the same, and and walk away. But if you're looking for your own sound, um, that's where things become difficult. And I'm kind of like feeling around for like what my metal sound I want it to be. And I have a lot of options in the helix, and there's there's some option option paralysis there for sure. But I think the thing I've discovered most is at least for the metal sounds in the helix, get some IRs. Um. Yeah. So you were going to talk about some of those IRs things. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about them all tonight, but we're, we're going to start talking about IRs a little bit because um, it's a new hot thing. Everybody's using them. Uh, there's tons of products out there that that are you know IR enabled. Um, what I discovered today though is I was like trying to get I was trying to get a dual rectifier patch going, and I was also trying to get a Mark IV patch going that I really liked because I got a couple of them, and they're and they're realistic. They they match my Mark II or my Mark II. I wish I had a Mark II. They match yeah. my Mark V in Mark IV mode, right. um, and do a pretty good job of that until you get to the cabinet model. And that's where I suddenly realized they like I was just playing around with the inbuilt cabinets for doing it, and they have a lot of low mids. They don't have a lot of top end, and the base is overinflated on a lot of them. Yeah. So what I started doing was using some ma or some um, IRs from actually it was free IRs I got from uh, Ownhammer, uh, wow. their Mesa slant cab IR with V60s, which is Celestian vintage 30s basically. Um, are it's really good. I highly recommend it. Um, it. They give you a bunch of different sound samples. I mean, it's a fully enabled IR situation where you get like here's how you know with an inch away and here's with two inches away and then you know different microphone choices and then they have some mix together so like they have a modern one which would yep. be you know, good for modern metal 
Um, and I just played around with a bunch of different ones until I found the ones I liked. Um, and I, I was a being them with the inbuilt helix cabs. And I definitely think for that style of music, it would be really difficult for me to tweak the inbuilt helix cabs to sound like that. Um, they're high quality. They sound good. I mean, IRs in, in general are going to sound really good. And that's what the helix inbuilt cabinets are based on, but they've been tweaked. And I think they're like more well-produced IRs in the sense that these are supposed to be just turn them on and not really have to do a whole lot to make them sound right. But at the right. same time, like they're overinflated in some ways. And so I wonder if the studio environment where they're putting these together is not optimal or something. Just causing yeah. that. Um, but we were talking about the Helix today. And actually this, this is really the big discussion part I want to bring into play here. And Jim, you can go back and forth about this, but um, the Helix for me, I have, I have a love hate relationship with it. I bought it. I, I obviously had a big, big analog. What? I want people to know that one minute he's going to sell it. The next minute he's, he's um, sleeping with it. So <laughs> I have a big, big analog rig. I had one, right. And I sold yeah. it at my helix. And if you're not a, a long time listener to the show, you might not know that when we started the show, I had this giant freaking pedal board that wouldn't fit in the trunk of my car. It had like eight boss pedals on it. And it had uh, an ES eight and it had, um, I had the ethos overdrive on there. <laughs> Yep. And two chase bliss pedals. Actually, I went down from the ethos to uh, the brothers, and oh, I had a MIDI brother. switcher for you know interfacing with it. It was just a, it was a nightmare rig, right? Um, and I finally just said, you know, there's this new pedal I want, and I stopped myself and I said, what the hell am I doing? Like, how, how many pedals can I possibly stick on this damn board? And that's <laughs> when I realized, like, I'm carrying around a board that's now half the size of the giant one that used to not be able to fit in my car but I still have like 13 pedals on it and I'm going, this is a logistical nightmare. So I sold all the stuff that I didn't want to keep and I bought a helix um, and it was literally a straight trade. Um, I didn't really buy anything. I traded Yep. and uh, took the helix home and I, I liked it a lot at first and I was doing some AB testing with my existing amps and I felt like, this is a very realistic simulator and it does a lot of things that are kind of right up my alley. Uh, it does some, you know, great recording functionality. It has every in and out known to man on it. Um, yep. They may not be the best, but they're there. And I was happy with it for the first three or four months. Then this yep. anxiety yep. set in. Right. And I'm like, you know, I know that I only really need like three or four sounds. So why am I using this modeler that has like three or 400 sounds? you know, and start to kind of second guess myself. And was thinking like, I could go back to a really simple analog rig with like two amps, two cabinets, switch between them based on the venue. And then have like, you know, a really simple pedal board with like a boost, a fuzz, and like maybe a modulation pedal and a wah. Yep. And, you know, of course, tuner and that kind of stuff. So go down like five or six pedals on a board, um, single power supply, you know, just basically simple, minimal analog rig. And, the more I like tinkered with this idea, the more I started thinking like, I got this fantastic board right here that that's, it's all self-contained. There's not a whole lot I have to do with it. I just have to figure out how to use it. So um, I spent a couple weeks kind of tossing this notion back and forth of selling my Helix and getting a, a, a 6505 in a cabinet. And ultimately what I decided, at least for now, is I'm going to keep the Helix probably going to keep it at least a year 
Um, I'm going to start approaching the Helix from a totally different way. And that is that um, I've always looked at the Helix as like, how can I make this thing sound like the real deal? Like the, the real things that are out there in existence. And now I'm starting to, I'm starting to backtrack from that and going, how can I use the Helix to get cool sounds, like really good sounds that I can use, but right. don't necessarily have to be real sounds? Because I think the Helix can actually do better than reality in, in the sense that you can get these idealized things that you can't get in the real world by doing studio trickery effects that you can't do on a stage. Like, for example, putting a compressor post-amp. And I'm not talking post-preamp. I'm talking post-amp. So yep. that my rhythm sound and my lead sound hit the exact same volume. And doing things that are just wildly crazy with switching i'll hit it i'll hit a stomp switch and the gain on my amp is going to dial back and the treble is going to dial back so i can get a rhythm tone and then i'm going to have you know a delay kick in when i hit my lead switch and maybe a fuzz comes on it's only going to be panned on the right side like i i, I can explore the stuff that you can't really do that's right without a super complicated like bradshaw style rig and what i'm what I'm really getting at here is that um, with these new ideas comes a lot of creativity that I've been stifling by saying, well, you can't do it in real life. Why would I want to do that? And well, actually, yeah, but actually can. And that's right. But it would take, it would take a ton of work. Yeah. Things. And that's what I'm saying. So let's, let's take a, um, and we were talking about this earlier today about live versus, um, uh, a, a rig where you're so we were talking about how it, it's so much easier to be the only guitar player in a band right i mean you're the only, only yeah. guitar player in a band and and you're the only melodic instrument in the band in other words you don't have a keyboard as well and it's a whole lot easier because now all that sonic space that you want to fill yeah, is you all can yours. fill it it's all yours pretty much you're 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 competing with a little bit of the strings the higher strings on the on the bass and some of the snare and a few a couple of toms every now. Mm-hmm. For the most part, that's all yours, right? That's a huge mm-hmm. amount. Take a guy like me. I'm going out to uh, play, and I got to compete with a keyboard, right? And I got to compete with a bass player who you know uh, tends to play up on the strings a little bit, uh, because the old way of doing bass wasn't always playing on the big thick strings, folks. Sometimes they played up on the you know on the seventh fret and above. Can you believe that? Um, so, yeah. You, know, you mean John Entwistle actually knew there was an area above the 12th fret? What? Yeah. You don't need to some Entwistle. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Well, there was a reason they called his finger his typewriter, typewriter style. So, um, anyway, uh, what I was what I was getting at is it, when you're live. Let's let's say you're in what you just talked about. A great great example was putting a compressor post speaker post the whole thing. Well, that's usually a sound man's job, right? I mean, a, the, the, um, the person at the soundboard is going to have to have you mic'd up or have you whatever going into here now putting pressing on your thing. And, and then you don't have any control of it. That's all. Yeah. There where now you can control it. But well, now- you can control it to the point that you don't. So like, when you go into a live venue and you're having live sound run for you and there's some guy like taking care of that stuff. Um, and we have members of our group who, who obviously have done this before. Um, 
you have control over it to a point because they might be applying stuff too because they assume, oh, well, he's not doing that. So right. you have to have good communication. That's what I was just going to say. You yeah. talk to them. But anyway, the, the point I was about to make is that, that typically, and, and that's what I was going to say, if you don't communicate with that person, then you're, you're also going to have the same problem. And you might get overly compressed. But when you come out of those big speakers, and I mean, I, and I've done these venues where I'm coming out of a, of a hundred thousand watt system, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about speakers that are hanging from the ceiling, 18 feet, you know, they're, they're, they're just a, a row of like 40, 12 watt or 15 watt speakers. And then there's like, you know, all these 18, um, uh, or, uh, 18 um, inch or 15 inch speakers and 18 inch speakers that are underneath the subs stage and all this other stuff. And you just, and when you hit a note that you're used to having, like, just go, uh, it goes, boom. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a little bit of shock the first time it happens. Cause you're yeah, like, cause you're standing there doing sound check and it's like, ting, ting, blam. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? I just, I just grazed that string. <laughs> and all I did was, Oh my God. I had Blow no out idea. The windows in the parking lot. You know? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. It's so much string noise and stuff. And, and when you do that for the first time, you get to that, that position, even if you're, even if you're playing in a club, let's say this, the, the uh, Momstein club that you, you saw him. Yeah. It wasn't Momstein. Cause obviously he had a wall of, wall of stuff. <laughs> He's only using four, have, but or yeah, whatever. they're going to have a, um, like uh, a dozen um, 12 or 15 inch speakers on the side. And they're going to have, you know, um, a, a whole row of subs down in front of you or down underneath of you that you're going to feel. And that first time you hit that low E and you hear that thing go boom and it, and it just, it just plows out. You're going to find out that all those little things you thought, Oh, I can put up with that. I can put up with that. I can put up with that. They get mic'd up. They, they become a big problem. They become huge. And, and what you were just talking about is a huge thing in the, in the way of getting towards that, where, you know, um, it's a, it's a completely different thing. It's one thing to play. And I, I know I bang on these YouTubers all the time and there's nothing wrong with these. these are excellent. Your bedroom people. is a whole different venue. But when you're, when you're blasting it at literally ear splitting volumes, you know, age, volume. if you don't need to use earplugs at home, you're not <laughs> doing it right. <laughs> because the person that, that is sitting at the back of these rows I mean, I, I, I showed somebody a video of me playing um, at a gig and I said, can you see the last person there? They said, no. I said, neither could I. <laughs> That's how far away they were. And my stuff was coming through amps. I was just whoosh. Yeah, just and trying he, to rip it. You said, know. Were you here wearing earbuds or ear? I mean, um, when, were you wearing ear, um, ear protection? I said, no. <laughs> That was so loud and it sounded so awesome. I stepped off that stage and was walking out into the crowd so I could feel, oh, that's me. Oh my God, it sounds so good. And, um, you know, I had played a lot of those where I, you know, I was kind of stuck on the stage, you know, but that, this one I got to stand and go out there. There was like, you know, there were a few thousand people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you do that and you do that for the first time and you've done that, you know, a few times after that, um, suddenly you realize that all those little things, you know, the microphonics of a, of a, um, of a, of a tube pickup and, and yeah, of a tube of, you know, or the, the little bit of shh you've got that's coming out there. Now, yeah. it's, now instead of just, shh, it's, shh, and yeah. it's like, ah, ear splitting crap. And, 
And so they're That's putting why people that play those venues aren't using junk. They, right. and they have a, you know, a decently set up guitar. It's not because they're experienced. It's because if you don't do it, you're going to have white noise and garbage and everything else broadcast out to 3000 people. Have you ever heard an, a badly tuned guitar at, at like 10,000 watts or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> it's abysmal. It's, it sounds horrendous. If you think that those tones are knocking against each other at, at 20 watts in your bedroom or 15 watts in your bedroom, not. think about it at, at 114 decibels or 120 decibels out you know, um, in a stage. And like I said, you're reaching a person that's, that's 100, you know, it, it, it's 100 yards or more away from you. And, and you, you're trying to, to fill these venues. And outdoor venues, which is what I was describing earlier, they're even worse. It's, it's, you've got to have the volume, right? And even then you're losing it. By the time you reach the people in the front row, you have no, no idea how much volume you lost to the air. By the time you get to the first people that are like 18, 20 feet away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the helix, so the way it solves these problems, it gives you control over things, right? Um, and you could theoretically even set up patches where, you know, you have a foot switch that will kill the compression or kill the uh, the EQ or kill the delay, depending on what's going on in the room um, or can engage a gate and all those different things that may be useful for just cleaning up your audio. So it doesn't sound terrible. But my thing, Jim has been that um, a lot of guys are using the helix. They're going straight into a PA system. The yep. majority of my dates are going to be small bars and things right. like this. And so for me, I really have to have something that's more amp like that I can stick behind me that'll actually carry the room and also give me something to monitor with. So I'm looking at all these different products. This has been my quest is like to find the right wedge PA setup, FR, FR speaker. It's all the same shit. But actually, let's back up for a minute. So as I get into this conversation, you're going to hear the term FR, FR used by me a lot. I'm talking about flat response, full range. I am not talking about fr fr guitar speakers because it's bullshit it's the same thing as you're going to get out of a pa cabinet and don't let anybody tell you different it might be tweaked it may have a little less highs in it or if you're friedman they put so many fucking mids in it you can't tell it's a pa speaker anymore um but the actually in actuality what you're getting is a full range flat response speaker which is right for back lack of a better term pa speaker I think you should explain what flat response means. Cause I think that's a, that's a, that's a studio that, thing. Right. Um, right. Gets thrown around that people are like, what the hell does flat response mean? All right. Let's, let's, let's take it back. All right. So let's talk about FRFR and what that actually means. Flat response. Not talking about full, full range is part of it. Um, so your guitar speakers cut off. They don't really have a whole lot of frequencies above about 6K. Um, they tend to, if you look at a frequency response curve, you'll see they drop off 6K pretty significantly. A lot. Um, a flat, a full range speaker. It's going to have a lot more content past 6K, and they might go below 80 hertz. They might go down to 20 hertz. Um, a frequency that's more felt than heard. Uh, and so the reason why this becomes important is in the studio environment. Um, your, your mission as a mix engineer, or so anybody who's just recording, is to provide a flat sound. In other words. A sound just like what you heard in the room initially before the mix process. And so in order for you to do this, you have to have, and this is, this is all about mixed translatability. If I take 
let's say I take my car speakers, right? My shitty car speakers, because they have a huge, like, mid dip, usually right in the middle of the frequency response. This is true of home stereo equipment as well. Um, and that's to make them sound big, right? So they're really cool sounding. Yeah. Um, but if you're mixing for these things, that's the last thing you want. You want flat response so that your mixes will translate over the widest variety of possible systems. Um, so you want to be mixing neutral. That's kind of the idea is that like you mix this neutral. So then you can put this into you know, something with a lot of bass and it'll sound fine. And if you put, put in something that has no bass, it'll sound fine too. Yep. Um, and of course there's phasing and stuff that goes on there. That's all a big part of that process. But the point is that these flat response systems started out as studio monitor. That was the idea. Like a studio monitor was supposed to be a speaker. That's not hyped up in the bass. It's not hyped up in the treble. It doesn't have exaggerated mids. It's supposed to be a pretty neutral sounding speaker. It's very similar to a lot of different ones. Not all of these speakers are created equally. Obviously, every studio monitor is different. Speakers are not perfect. You cannot have an actual flat response system. It's just never going to happen. You can get close. You can buy really expensive stuff to get you as close as possible and make it really, really good sounding across a wide range of systems. But ultimately, you're still going to be fighting the room and you're still going to be fighting the fact that the speakers are limited in what they can do. So, for example, you might not get past 20 hertz, you know, and you might not get past uh, 9,000 or 11,000 hertz on the upper end of the spectrum. Can you right. hear past 11,000? Some people can. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the older you are, probably the less likely you can. But um, I've been watching some videos where people are suggesting that you can listen to those things. And even if you can't hear those frequencies, you can guess that they're there. And you can still mix for them, which is pretty impressive. But as this applies to guitar, the idea is that when you're using a modeler, your modeler includes a speaker cabinet model that you can use. And it usually includes a, um, actually they almost always include a microphone model as part of the speaker speaker modeler thing. So what this is simulating is a mic'd up guitar sound, which is what you hear on every record. um, And what you hear in most live mixes is a mic'd up guitar sound. And so what this allows you to do is to basically have that mic'd up guitar sound on stage instead of the unmiked signal coming out of a cabinet at you. For a lot of people, that's a problem because they're used to hearing that that actual raw cabinet sound. Um, for me, I don't think it's as big a deal for me. Um, but what the FR, FR allows you to do is to completely neutrally, as neutral as physically possible, given the dimensions of cab and how it's designed, uh, produce the the uh, sound directly from the modeler in the most neutral way possible. So it's this is how your modeler sounds without a speaker in the beginning. That's the idea. Right. So um, these systems are in their infancy, that the ones that are specific for guitar. Uh, and it, a lot of people are saying it's mostly a marketing thing. And I, and I tend to agree with them. However, been watching some demonstrations the last couple of days where they're taking some of these cabs and they're comparing them to each other. And they're not created equal. They're very vastly different. Um, for example, the Friedman system, I think, is the most overpriced piece of garbage I've seen in a long time. Um, their idea is, well, we want our cabinet to sound more like an actual like cabinet cabinet without a, without a speaker model and a, and a uh, microphone in front of it. And the way they achieve that is by basically just trumping up the mids. Um, and you can hear it. I mean, you can compare it to like the power cab or the mission engineering, uh, cabinet thing. And they, I mean, it literally just sounds like they just put a big, put a big, uh, high and low pass on it, you know, a lot of mids. Um, 
And you can also hear the differences between using like an Alto PA cab and using, say, you know, a power cab or something like that. Now, I have experience with the power cab. I've tried it out. I don't know that it was set up correctly, but it sounded like ass to me. Um, I've had, I bought a PA cab a while back and I returned it because it's the first thing that I can remember returning because I was like, this is absolute garbage. Um, where I don't know that that was really necessarily a problem with the product or if that was a problem with the Helix and the way that it uses its outputs. So this is something I'm going to explore. I'm really interested to see what I can do with FRFR that doesn't, it doesn't have me conspiring with a sound guy because a lot of the clips I play don't have sound guys. It's me. Right. You know, so the whole idea would be to be able to go in and just set this PA cab on the floor and just rock and roll. Tell the, tell the sound person to set you at neutral and go from there. Yeah. And, and maybe run a line out from yeah. there to the, you know, from the cat, either the cat. Well, I can really just run direct out of the helix. Um, the helix. And that was what we were talking about today is like, well, yeah, I can run four cable with my, my Mark five. But the problem there is, if I want to do certain things with it, then I can't really run a direct out. And so there's some compromises made uh, from the direct out from the helix. Or if I do, I have to run it direct out with an IR. I mean, it's just, it's, it gets really convoluted really fast. Yep. And it's one of these things where you got to have it set up for the venue when you get there. So you really need to know what you're dealing with before it ever happens. Um, and this is where I think some of the things that you mentioned, some of the limitations are going to be, um, addressed once they start integrating a new Helix, which I don't know, that'd probably be a few years down the road. But still. I think I think Helix Two is probably going to be in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I was going to say about three or four years down the road, and and at that point you'll have more processing because they've got to wait until it, it, it they got to wait until there's a reason to market it, right? So you're going to need more powerful processors. You're going to need some of the things that you want to do. That aren't being able to be that you can't do yet. That would that would um, I there. honestly don't see them really pushing the software in a different direction. I think no. Helix Two will be very much like here's the Helix with an extra path kind right. of deal. That's what I was going to say. Giving you the ability to do more paths, to have more stuff. I mean, you really do, don't need more effects. No. How many effects can you put in the chain? Uh depends on what kind of effects you're putting in there. I mean, sky's the limit, really. Yeah. Uh, It's supposed to be, I think it's like eight or 12 per path. But the thing is, you can have multiple paths and then you can do A, B paths and you can combine the two paths that exist in the system. So, because there's one path per processor, right? And then you can, you know, you can route them so that path A goes into path B or you can have sub paths where you have parallel routing and stuff. It's extremely flexible. And there's this guy that's done this monster path thing where you can like, you can have two amps going with a separate chain of effects for each amp plus uh, a shared chain and then like stereo effects after it's, I mean, it's literally mind boggling. It's right. And so, I mean, when you think about what the helix can do and it has incredible capabilities, I mean, I know all the limitations that you were mentioned for um, incredible uh, uh, piece of, of equipment, especially in the price range. When you think about that price range, um, those who those who um, are looking at Axe Effects or Kemper, uh, Kemper is not meant to be that. I, I, I'm thinking more Axe Effects. And, and people who look at a Kemper and go, oh, I should get a Kemper, realize what a Kemper is. It is not what a Helix Price for what you get, this thing slays the Axe Effects. Yeah. It does. Yeah. For what you get. You know what I mean? For what you get. And, and, and there are competitive products 
from other manufacturers like Boss and um, yeah, the Boss company has... that makes the the Head Rush. Yep. Um, what does Boss make? The M M one. No, it's the GT one thousand. And they also have the GT one. Which is yeah. uh, like a like a budget beginner version of the GT one hundred, and um, it's I mean it's a cool modeler too for like what it costs. Yeah, it's yeah. like two hundred bucks. Yep, very it's tiny. You can throw it in your gig bag, and it yeah. has cabinet modeling and amp models and effects models, and it sounds great. Yeah. Um, um, so you know, so what I wanted to look at is that when you get up. Um, when you get up at a, at a stage, um, and this is this is the unfortunate reality that we all have to deal with. Um, so, what you sound like on stage is not what you sound like ten feet away from the stage. No, and it's not what you sound like at twenty feet, fifty feet, or hundred feet. And you can you can sit there and, and talk about how um, you know the acoustics of the room and this and that, and the other thing all day long because there are going to be acoustics of the room. As soon as you put bodies in there, the acoustics. Yeah, I mean bodies what the room is made out of, uh, whether they've got new drink machines in the back. I mean, it gets ridiculous. Whether or not they have windows, um, where the windows are in relation to the speaker positions, where you're standing in relation. Yeah, I mean, if they have you put up the PA in a different place the next time you play the club, it's going to be totally different. Absolutely. And so when you look at all these things that, that, um, these, these incredible things that you have to deal with when you go to a place, then you get outdoors. And you think, oh, well, outdoors is outdoors. What if it's a windy day? What direction is the wind blowing? You know, where the, you know, believe it or not, this all makes a difference. Yeah. Um, the funniest thing about outdoors is you think it's going to be neutral, not neutral. You think it's going to be like, oh, well, it's, I'm going to lose all my bass because there's nowhere for it to reverberate. But it's pretty damn neutral. Yep. It is. And um, the only thing you have to worry about is, um, you know, there are level, levels of humidity change. It, um, oh, yeah. But indoor stuff is really, remember, humans are made of what? They're made of water. Water. So it's like you filled the place with jugs of water. Yep. It's really, that, that, that's really what you Sacks done. of meat. <laughs> you got big wet sacks of meat. And so these things, what do they do to, to highs and, and to mid-ranges? They absorb they it all. Boom, just like that. It's like a, it's like a dead end. And that's why you put speakers high. Why? Because yeah. if you put them low, they're going to hit the people in the front. They'll be they're, they're They're like, oh, this is so loud. Two people behind them can't hear it at all. Literally can't hear it at all. I, I had a, um, a bass player who would walk in front of my um, amp uh, cabinet on stage. And oh, I yeah. wouldn't be able to hear the amp cabinet at all with him standing there. Yep. Yep. And he's like, whoa, it's so loud. I'm like, I can't hear it at all. No, he's not. Get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> if you were standing away from it, it would be awesome. Yeah. Um, That's why you need but, the plexi. Just be like, fuck it. I'll get used to yeah. hearing it quiet. Yeah, I'll get that mother. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'll, I'll fill it full of Swiss cheese, sonic Swiss cheese. But um, no, but so, you know, all these things get taken into account. And, and people who do um, this stuff for a living, you know, they set up uh, sonic sound for churches or, venues and different things like that um you know i my hats is are, uh, is off to them my hat is off to them because they do so it's much a hard work. job it is There's- people give sound guys such shit too yeah and it's yeah. like look sometimes you don't realize how difficult that actually is if you put yourself in their shoes a lot of times when you have shit sound it's yep. not their fault nope nope they're not out there turning that magical suck button up yeah that 
Um, they're out there trying to do their best because remember, it's a reflection of them too. Yeah, they don't want you to sound like ass. Right, because if they say, if you sound like ass, then you go, hey, no, you had to sound me and you sound like ass. And then they don't want to hire you. So, yeah, I get it. And, and um, you know, so when you think about what am I doing and what am I doing on stage? How big is my, you know, how big is my audience? How many people are, and what exactly am I trying to get across? Because it's, it's all about the thing that we've talked about before. It's all about the art, right? Uh-huh. It is all about, we, we, are, we are painters. And every time we strum the guitar, it's brush strum. Yep. And, and I, I don't know if Jim, I can that's think of pure it poetry. Yeah. If I wow. didn't know you were so full of shit, I would <laughs> give you a Pulitzer right now. <laughs> a Pulitzer. Um, so, um, you know, not to, not to stay on a high horse. So when you, when you go to a place and you work with the sound person and, you're, and you folks are, are making your meeting and getting together, it's a good idea to talk. Now, I won't say that there aren't dickhead sound people because they exist. They're tired of their job. There's that person in every job I've ever seen, whether you're in IT or your mom. they just don't like your music and they're like, I don't give a fuck what you sound like. I don't like metal music. You guys suck. So the first thing they're like, you know what? I'm not even going to put any real effort into this. Well, I think more often than not, it's the people that come in with the shitty amps and the shitty live rigs. They're like, why would I care? At this point, when, like you, you don't care clearly. So why would I? When you walk in with a Line Six Spider Five, yeah, seventy-five watt. <laughs> I I've been gigging with this for a long time. Where that doesn't make it good. <laughs> Where in your garage? Yeah, but, that's no, not a gig. That's like that's like a hangout. I've been so bad at the Line Six Spider. That's just because you got a katana now. No, it's because of that whole FR fanboy. Oh my god! No, I'm not a Katana fanboy. Okay, so people probably wonder why did you buy a Katana 100? You got you got a one by twelve. You could get could have used a fifty watt. Matter of fact, I use this pretty much fifty watt setting. Um, well, see, a long time ago, Jim decided that he was going to play guitar. Yeah, <laughs> and that eventually led to him buying a Katana. Yeah, fifty years later. Um, no, 47 years later. So um, when, I, when, I, um, when I decided to get the 100 watt, it's because I actually wanted a 50 watt. I didn't want the 100 watt. That's true. I was like, man, I, I only need two channels. I need it to be dirty. I need it to be clean. And I was like, man, whatever. But <clears throat> the, um, the reason I got the 100 is because there's no effects loop in the 50. Here's boss. Boss, if you want to sell a few more 50s, actually, they probably want to sell more 100s while they're doing it. But if you want to sell a few more 50s, put, a, put an effects loop in that thing and give away the two-button switch. Come on. We talked about that today. $120 for that switch, the GAFC. And they're on back order. Yeah. Oh, they are on back order again? I'm sorry. They're on. Yeah. Ridiculous. But, but um, anyway. The, um, That's because the, the only thing they're making money out of that package is the GAFC. <laughs> GAFC, exactly. But the GAFC doesn't work with the 50. It works with the 100. Right, correct. Give away the two-button switch. Come on. There's, these two-button switches are giveaway. I mean, I got to admit, the Katana is well-priced. What is it, $259? Plus, yeah. Something like that. Well-priced. Those who know, because I said to David, I said, didn't the price on those go up? So yeah, I think it went up about 50 bucks. Yeah. The, the if import. it hasn't, it will go up about 50 bucks. Because, yeah, the uh, import fees. The import taxes have, have caused a, uh, 
a hike in a lot of gear because lots of things that come out of China. Right. And even if I didn't want the effect send and return, um, I need the I need the line out not to deaden the speaker. Because if I want to use this on the stage as my monitor, I don't want that to kill the um, speaker when I go out to the board. And unfortunately on the 50, all, 50, all you've got is record out. Now I got to ask you, because you've done this already and I haven't done it on this one. When you use, you said there's three IRs built into this? Yes, there's a, um, a modern, yep. there is a, uh, a vintage, and there's a deep. Okay, IR. so... So a Mesa, a, uh, <laughs> a pretty Mesa, much a Mesa, a, a Mesa, a Marshall. I don't think I don't think the other one's a Fender. I think it's like a greenback loaded four by twenty. Okay, sounds like to me. Now is that does that go out on the um, USB? And I think it also goes out in the regular line out. I don't think I the regular line. I think the regular line out is cab emulated only. I yeah. may not be right on that. But I think it is. I would think it would have to be. The, the line so out if you want to use it and with an IR, you have to go out of the return. Yep. Or the send. Yeah. Into your DAW. Yep. I think that's what yeah. I did. I did that video. And yeah. so, um, for those those who haven't done this, so you don't want to send an emulated signal to an IR. No, no. Because uh, then you're you're miking an amp to mic an amp. Doesn't make any sense. Right, which really kills me because Mesa wants to send out like their their cab clone. There's no there's no bypass. You have yeah. to use one of their cab EQ things. Yep, and that sucks. Because what if you want to use a two note? And right. Let's be honest. The cab clone is not good, people. I yeah. know. Is that the torpedo? It. The two notes torpedo. Yeah, yeah. Um, the cab clone. Look, it's a good product for live because it gives you an option to go direct from the from the amp. Don't use it in the studio. It doesn't sound that good. I mean, it's usable, but it's very generic sounding. It doesn't really sound that good. No. So we got a we got a couple more things. Again, don't forget that our email address is question, question at practicalguitarist.com. Practical don't like us? Send us some hate mail. That's right. And and we 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 would appreciate it. So, um, all right. I had another thing. So, a, a person in the group asked recommendations um, for three pedals, and we gave our recommendations. Um, Eric Bailey. We don't want to really go into what would what Eric's looking for, because if you want to look for it, it's in the group. But here's here's the thing that that I put in there, and I think that that everybody should preface. Which is why I, I I always wonder why all of a sudden people are throwing shade and throwing hate at folks when they make a recommendation. I recommend this, okay? It, whether it's a, you think it's a good recommendation or not, like if somebody said <clears throat> I was in a guitar Zoom community and I said uh, somebody was saying should I get a Boss Katana or should I get a Line Six Fire? And I wrote if you want a bazillion um, effects and you and you're playing in your bedroom and you're and you're not playing out. The spider's great. It, it, it's fine. If you like this total spider, use it. But if, if you're playing gigs, I don't recommend it. That's all I wrote. I don't recommend it. And this person slammed on, you probably don't know how to tune or uh, uh, record or um, uh, program a spider. And you know that there's all these effects. And I go, uh, I said there was a billion effects. And I, I didn't say there wasn't. I just said I wouldn't gig with it. Because here's the problem. that, that uh, And it goes back to what David was speaking about with the speaker. 
an FRFR speaker. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what the spider has, but the spider does have. It's a, it is a more FR. neutral speaker. It's right. not a guitar speaker per se. Right. So it has a full range speaker. Now, what, what that comes down to is this, is this is why a lot of these modeling amps don't work well in a band situation. When you, when you take a guitar speaker, everybody's like, oh, it's because a tube amp is this much better. There are things about tube amp that, that make them this much better. But the thing is that if you, if you have a full range speaker, this is like taking your, your boom box, sitting it down next to the drummer and cranking your guitar through it. That's yeah. what you've done. Yeah. You're not going to get that much volume, frankly. Yeah, you will never hit those things the way you should because that speaker is is made to do too much and it doesn't do what a guitar guitar sound like ass. Right. And not just Especially, not just quiet, but just make it sound like ass. Because because you'll have to turn up and as you get towards um the, the top end of those, take your home speaker. I don't care what you know what home speaker system. Don't do what Jim says because you're just gonna blow out your speaker. Yeah, unless you got to take our word for it. <laughs> unless you got a Polk audio or something like that, start tuning it up. At some point, that thing's gonna start breaking up. It's just gonna sound like it sounded great when you were watching Star Wars earlier today at you know four and a half or yeah, seven. A, th- a third of the volume on your uh, your sound system, you know. But when you start cranking it all the way up. All of a sudden, your thousand watt—it's a thousand watts. This thing should sound awesome, and it sounds like total. How many ohms, and what's the dB sensitivity? Yeah, we talked about that earlier this week about ohms and speakers. Yeah, well, that's kind of why I thought you blew something up. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, I did not. Um, so well, I hope not. Um, no, so I mean, my name is not Ryan. What are you talking about? <laughs> wow, now I'm throwing shade. Wow. Ryan, no, if you're listening to this, no, you wait, wait, yeah, I, I, it actually sucks that you couldn't fix your, uh, your know, katana. Right? I was kind of hoping I, that you'd be able to do it because I'd feel like, hey, this thing is actually repairable. Did he, did he get the uh, the thing, the chip or whatever? That- yeah, he wasn't able to get the existing one out. So um, it, it's a pain in the ass to get out. But anyway, um, what I wanted to say was that uh, Speakers are made for different applications. And guitar loudspeakers are actually made for like a really focused set of frequencies. Remember we talked about how they tend to have a more narrow band than a full range speaker system. And so your home home audio stuff is more like a full range in the sense that it has like a wider set of frequencies, but it's not flat. And so it's not going to sound great. if you ran guitar through it just directly. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, uh, I forget we how we got on the subject originally, but like your PA speakers are nothing like that. They are oh. completely different. They're, I mean, they can right. reproduce a guitar signal and make it sound halfway decent. So anyway, um, that's what I was getting. At. So it's kind of like t- putting your boom box up against but the point that I was getting at is that when you're making, when somebody makes a recommendation, like I, I, I said to Eric, you know, I recommend this, I recommend this, but remember I'm using humbuckers primarily. Yeah. 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 And I'm playing in a variety band. So this is what works for me. Right. And I didn't say to him, but if you were playing blues, you should get this and you're playing medley. Cause I don't know that stuff. I play in a variety band. I pop pop music. I'm a pop musician. I but tried I, to, so he posted a picture of his board first. 
And so yeah. my recommendations, like this is how I approached it. I looked at what he already had and I go, I kind of made some inferences about what he's doing based on yep. that. And then based on the things that he was already looking at. Right. And then I was like, okay, I know kind of where you're, you're headed. I think right. and this is what I would recommend. Right. Uh, so. Yeah. And again, they're all, they're just recommendations. Nothing. <clears throat> I think that. Nobody said your gear sucks. And I'm right. not saying in this specific case, but you see, I guarantee you, you've seen somebody post like, what uh, amp should I get? And then there's all these people like Matchless Chieftain. No, um, there's all these people that say things it, that are. There's many people who recommend Matchless Chieftains actually had, had Matchless, Matchless Chieftains. They wouldn't have gone bankrupt in the first place. Those guys would have millions and millions of dollars. And they've been, been, that company's been bankrupt twice. <laughs> twice all these people i love people who recommend you know stuff they've never owned <laughs> it's just it's my just, sweetwater rep is big on matchless can't afford it. got one but because well, he has and one. they are cool lamps yeah um bagara v22 is a matchless clone i definitely uh, didn't say anything bad about matchless that's for sure no 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 no. i'm just saying that like people tend to make recommendations and oftentimes they're making recommendations about shit they don't even own Right, or they've never owned. Yeah, or never even like had an experience of like I've heard this is cool, so I'll just recommend this to you. Right, and That's so like, like I, I'm only going to recommend shit that I've tried, you know. Right, like when I say to somebody, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a Fender Deville for this, this, or this. It's because I know the Fender Deville. I owned one for 15 years. Yeah. I used it almost primarily, and believe me, I had my headaches with it. I had yeah. a lot of headaches. But yeah, I, that, I, well, that, I, I think that lot will do that to you. Yeah. Ooh. But anyway, what? Yeah, <laughs> but or just get a super reverb instead. When, yeah, when somebody makes a recommendation, it's not like they're saying you you suck and I'm right. It's just this is what I did and this is how I I worked through it. And and you should. But I, I think that what's happening, you know, we've talked about this before in YouTube. It's like they, you see this all the time. It's like how many how many Spider Five videos that you seen were of of it being bad seriously i mean the, i'm not talking about what little kids did in their bedrooms i'm talking about the ones that the, the andertons or um yeah know. i mean and they always and they usually have a spy a line six rep there who's like here's how you use it because because they're like don't put the microphone there <laughs> like <laughs> you know they're there to advise them and how to get the best sounds out of it that's right. And it's not that, that you can get bad sounds out of it easily, but it's just that they know that it is easy to get a bad sound out of it if you don't know what you're doing or if you're, if you're careless. So right. they're like, it's an inexpensive amp, so we need to give it all the help we can to make sure that people know how to use it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen them do a Line 6 Spider 5 video or any of the Line 6 Spider series where they didn't have a, a rep there. Line no. 6 rep right well, there. the cab clone from Mesa, when they did that video, originally they did it without a rep and then they watched it and they were like, this thing sounds like shit. And so lines or Mesa put a rep in their hands and said, this guy's going to show you how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> Cause it was bad. Right. And so honestly, take, even the rep video was bad. You take the right. So you take, yeah, I know. Cause I sent you that thing about the cab clone and I hadn't remembered that until you said something about those. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. You, as the individual is not, you are probably not going to get a rep from company X. No, you well, might have to go to an event and try to meet up with them, but yeah. And you can reach out to a Facebook, 
people shouldn't act like these people don't put their pants on too, too freaking you know one a lot like, of times they have a lot of pride in what they do and they, um, and they want they want it to work out. i know I'm the line you, frank guy, from line six yep frank from line six he wants you to he wants you to um succeed he's gonna tell you you know he's gonna give you some recommendations or at least point you to someone who can help you with your product um and so these are these are things that don't be afraid to ask some questions don't be afraid like i did with david this morning help i felt so stupid it was a simple thing. Yeah, I but looped, once you, but like once you get, look, asking for help is a lot harder than actually receiving. Right. And then once you actually get that help, then you won't need it ever again. So the right. whole point is like, ask for help. Don't hold off and pretend like, oh, I should know this, so I'm not going to ask. I'll just figure yeah, it out. Oh, oh everybody's so figuring it out on your own is good. But if like yeah. it's just a stupid technical problem like that, and you're scratching your head, call somebody, talk to somebody, call the helpline, call you know. Reach out to people in the Facebook groups. So much gear has a Facebook group devoted to it now. It's almost stupid not to be a member of one if you're like invested in something. I'm invested yep. in the Helix. I'm in the Helix group. I'm invested in the Katana. I'm in the Katana group. I ordered a custom guitar that will be showing up in a couple months. I'm in that group. <laughs> I will. I will tell you. I'll tell you the truth. So this was a long time ago. It was like almost forty years ago. My first technical question was the first time I actually put a Les Paul in my hand. And I went, what do those knobs do? Now, fast I, I didn't know until I owned a Gibson. I'm not even afraid to admit it. I was like, why does it have four knobs? Because I had a, No, I, I knew what they did, but I was like, which ones are which? Yeah. And which one? Yeah. So I got, okay. So fast forward to when I got my first PRS um, single cut. Oh. <laughs> those, who, those who don't know. All does PRS not wiring is different than Gibson PRS wiring. All does not care where Gibson puts their volumes and tone pops. He no. puts them where he wants. He literally doesn't give a shit. <laughs> so guess what? The volume knobs. My guess is you use the you use the tone knobs a lot more on that single cut because the, the yeah one of the one of the quote unquote tone knobs a volume knob and the other one. So when I first got it, I I got my my um I got my uh, single cut. I did you know. I went to a, um, uh, it, it was really hard because it was hard to get them back then. Yeah. So I finally, somebody put one up for sale. I was like, oh, I got to go get it. I got $2,000 in my pocket. I'm going to go 20, I think it was 2200 20, whatever. I go out, I meet this guy, you know, we plug it in. Sounds great. I get it home. I go to the lead channel and it dies. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And what the I hell is wrong with this guy? I keep rolling the volume knob. No, you keep rolling the tone knob. I was rolling the tone knob. I thought I was rolling the volume knob for the lead switch, but I was rolling a tone knob for the. You know, and the other thing is, like, you had that feeling of pure I, panic. You had the feeling of pure panic because you're like, I just yeah. spent you know two thousand dollars on this guitar and it doesn't work. And you're like, yep. you're you're not even thinking about the fact it's like a two minute repair. You're yep. just like. It doesn't work, <laughs> you know. Like you're crying, yeah, like, oh, man. and then you know, five minutes later, it's fixed, right? And so I, I posted in the in the PR one of the PRS forums. Oh my god, I can't! Somebody said, "Have you always have you always owned Gibsons?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "That's because you're rolling tone knob for the the um, rhythm channel. Roll, roll the the." <laughs> roll the arm. Jim, can oh. I just say, there's four knobs. Try them all. <laughs> I didn't think to try them all. I was in my, I was probably in my late thirties, early thirties. I had never played a Paul Reed Smith. So that's, 
I'm not um, making excuses. But the guy, the guy's like, the guy's like, you didn't read the sticky, did you? Moron. So <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't new, so I didn't get a sticky. No, no, oh, I mean the sticky in the forum. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, the top of the forum, it's like, it's like Gibson owners <laughs> check your purse. <laughs> there should have been something up at the top. And then I went to uh, um, the guy. Actually, pointed out he was very nice because he could have called me a complete utter moron. It was very nice. He, he pointed me to the um, uh, the um, tech. Believe it or not, there's a tech manual. It's it's a ha- It's like a leaflet, a tech yeah. leaflet. I guess you could call it a white page um, on uh, the single cut. And he goes, "Here it is online," and uh, linked me over to it. And sure enough, there it is. It says, "Yeah, there's a volume up." But I didn't know that with with PRS to turn the volume down all the way, the same as a Gibson, and use it like a kill switch. So, yep, that was a that was a um, enlightenment. I won't tell you what I did wrong in my custom. But let's I'm, just say very similar. Huh? What did you say? I, said, I won't tell you what I did wrong in my custom, but it was very similar. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the three switches. I didn't know that one of them was the uh, was the control because what PRS did was in the customs before they went to the blade switch. Yeah, and there was the, a um, there the was notch. a notch. Yeah, and it looked like a tone knob, and it went click 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 click. Yeah, it was yeah, a it was a five way plate or whatever. It was a rheostat or whatever it is. Yeah, it was the same idea. It was just wiring it to a to a um to that. They they thought it was a good idea. I think it was a good idea at the time, but you could never tell what position your blade switch was in. Because you'd have to look and see, okay, where's the number line up to? Where's zero supposed to be? Okay, that's because it, it used a, a tone knob with 10 or a volume knob, whatever, with 10 uh, you know, numbers on it, but you only had zero through five that worked. You know, it it stopped at five. So it was kind of weird. Let's just say I didn't know that that you could have more than three positions on a humbucker. I was not a gearhead. I never was a gearhead. I just, I want to plug it in and I want to use it. And I don't want to play with it like that. <laughs> it was terrible. I don't have anything to say. I, I, yeah. just, I just don't. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it all to myself. We've all made mistakes. We all do dumb shit. Like, yeah, I, yeah. listen, I, it's a miracle. I have not blown up an amp at this point. Because I have plugged in a lot of shit to a lot of wrong places, especially on dark stages or in dark rooms, and you're Good not paying Lord. attention, and you're like, "Oh, that's got to be the speaker back, right?" <laughs> you're like putting this, putting the cable in there, and then you're like, "Why is there no sound?" And then you turn around, you, ever, and you look, and you're like, "Oh, that's a direct out." <laughs> you, ever you, know, a, like, you ever put a nine volt battery in backwards? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not not recommended. Pretty sure a lot of people have done that. Um, I like to put them on my tongue. That's fun. No, it, so we've got uh, wireless mics that use a nine volt battery. Oh, and, uh, I understand. The bass player put his nine volt battery in. <laughs> Enlighten the audience as to what that does, Jim. Yeah, let's just say that when when he screwed the end down, that that pops it in, it puts it in a reverse polarity, and that thing lit up. Pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> well, there went the there went the mic. Yeah, don't do that. A lot of them have stopped using nine volts now for that reason. Yeah. So it's a lot easier not to pop them or they put a power protection circuit. in. Um, Yeah. I would imagine 
I mean, it, it can't be too hard to have something that protects it from getting a reverse polarity. Yeah, I mean, they do it all. But I'll tell you, you this will happen, guys, on your pedals, too. If you, if you put most 9-volt pedals are negative pole. In other words, the centerpiece is yeah, your... You fry. Well, I, and even then, like, I haven't fried anything, and I know I've put them in backwards before. Yeah, but, yeah, most of them have a protection circuit now. But some of the older pedals, if you put the, the um, if you have it wrong, you should, you should always, it's pretty much now, any pedal. It's really hard to put a nine volt battery in wrong because the way that the prong. Right, right. But if you wire the cable up backwards, then you're in trouble. As long as there's that nine volt, um, that, that thing, the um, little leads on the end. I don't know what they call yeah, it. The, the jack. Yeah, the nine volt jack. But if you've got just a, a slot to push the nine volt in, then you lock it down. You got it in reverse polarity. That's what it's like. But when if you plug it in wrong, plug it in backwards. Oh, here's another thing. Let's talk about buffered pedals. Just for a second. Uh, just for a second. So a buffered right. pedal, folks, a, a true bypass pedal and a buffered pedal. A buffered pedal, if it does not have power, you will not get signal through. If you have a true bypass pedal, and you don't have power to it, it should truly bypass the circuit. Yeah, and and that's a generalization too, because there are there are true bypass, true bypass that, pedals that will eat battery even yep. in the off position. Yep. Um, as long as there's a you know a cable plugged into it. So you just got to be real careful, read your manual, figure it out. Yep. Um we we are not going to say whether true bypass or uh is better. Bypass is better. No, I won't say. And do whatever, whatever floats, whatever your floats your boat, you know, right. whatever works for you. <clears throat> um, do we have an, any more topics, Jim? Uh, let's check. I have a lot of notes here. Yeah. He's got like three pages worth of notes, folks. And I'm trying to keep this two hours. So. And that's it. That was the, that was Good, it. Now we can just have hopeless banter for the next 10 minutes. Well, so did we talk about, how about, how about this piece of banter? And we're going to stay out of the political side of it and just talk about the funny side of it. It is. It has been rumored by um, I can't remember where I read about this, but it is actually a, a a legitimately credible source that Roger Waters may may go to the border and play the wall. Uh-huh. I just want to. I just want to say everybody take a moment and think about that for a second. If he leaves enough cardboard there, they can just build one. <laughs> yeah. You know what they should do is just have him do it all the way along the border. And he, I think, I think he should make a music festival out of it. I think yeah. he could have Living Color go down there and play Concrete and Steel. Yep. Could have, <laughs> we can, we, we, I could get really creative with this. I mean, I'm sure there are other people that talk about building things, yeah, um, erecting walls. And right. uh, wh- hey, Living Color would be perfect. They got that song "Wall," yeah. "Wall Between Us." Yeah, almost fall. Uh, um, yeah. Kansas had the wall. They're a great band that would be a perfect fit for that. Uh, Kansas just doesn't have a southern border on on the uh, southern border of the United States, but it's close enough. They have yeah. some fallout from it. Yeah, they could put a wall up around Kansas. Yeah. Um, I want a wall up around my house, frankly. I just don't I, like my neighbors. You're not rich enough. See, the rich people have them. Yeah, no shit, right? They've already got them. They um, put walls up. You can't, you can't walk into their neighborhood. Jim, I don't think we can talk about this anymore. There, there, nothing is going to be decided here, so I'm just going to leave right now. That's right. No. Oh, what? wait. <laughs> this Let's is, keep going. This is oh, in my house? What am I thinking? That's up in my house. Um, so uh, 
What other kinds of interesting things? Oh, Eddie Trunk. Let's talk a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, about let's talk about Eddie Trunk for a minute. So what was it? Eddie Trunk is mad because... Who's Eddie um, Trunk, Jim? I yeah, don't know exactly. who Eddie Trunk is. If you ask Eddie Trunk, Eddie Trunk is responsible for hard rock and heavy metal from around 1985. Isn't he oh. the fat fuck from MTV in the 80s that used to do Headbangers Ball? Yes, yes. Uh, he's that fat fuck, huh? <clears throat> yeah. I'm a fat fuck too, so I I'm, I'm one. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fat. No, don't think for a second that I'm really being hard, mean to him. I'm being mean to him because I think he's a pompous ass, and yeah, he thinks he that he controls the music industry like an Ed Sullivan type. And Ed Sullivan didn't control the music industry either, folks. Um, he, I had to laugh because he was interviewing um, Getty Lee, and he was talking about how he Eddie Trunk had created this whole buzz around how Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson might do something together. And uh, he was like, oh, do you want to, do you want to confirm this? And, you know, of course he wa- he was hoping to get something on his show. Getty so well blew him off. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, I, I don't know. Like, so for my generation, the reason why I, I introduced him the way that I did this, apparently Alexa was listening to me. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Alexa, please kill Kenny. Um, okay, I'll kill Kenny. <laughs> wow, you did a really good impression. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, what I was thinking was like my generation. I'm I'm 33 right now, I believe. Yep. <laughs> Don't go beyond that. Um, <gasps> and my generation doesn't necessarily know who Eddie Trunk was because I... his show was off the air in like what, like '89, the original yeah. show. Um, and then he had that and metal he didn't show, do which anything was for like ten years or fifteen years. Yep, I think he had a radio show or something in one yeah, like yeah. small market, and yeah. then all of a sudden he's New Jersey. I'm back on VH1, and I'm like the head host of the the metal show, that metal <laughs> show. Which, by the way, I'm not watching for the hosts; I'm watching for the guests if I watch it at all. Um, and I, I just feel like the guys, the guys. He's he 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 almost like looks back at his life. And he's like, I wish I was special. I wish I was in a band. So now I'm going to make out like I was these bands, and somehow like I influenced a generation of people and what they were going to listen to, what they didn't. And I really think there's a lot more emphasis put on the MTV generation actually watching MTV than there was. Um, there's a lot of bands that are popular today that did not have big MTV. Um, Rush. Iron Maiden. Good example. <laughs> Iron Maiden is a great example because we talked about Iron Maiden before. I think we actually mentioned this on the show. Iron right. Maiden was like, they had all these, they had a video for like every song going back to like the late seventies when they, when they were doing the promotional videos for the, uh, for the record stores yep. and MTV, every time they do one of their like, Hey, how, how do we do this kind of thing? And they're like showing a retrospective. They talk about how they used to play Iron Maiden. Yeah. I have never right. seen outside of one of those shows an Iron Maiden video on MTV ever. I have talked it, to people who grew up in that age and they're like, no, I didn't know who Maiden was. Like, I saw not from video, them. I saw a video of Where Eagles Dare. That was the only video I ever saw of Iron Maidens on MTV before Headbangers Ball. Yeah. And even then, I only saw um uh off Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, Can I Play with Madness? J- Jim, can can I ask you a question? How long was the head was a, was a headbangers ball episode? Jesus, it was like an all night thing. 
Was it? Was it like a three-hour, four-hour thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, Iron Maiden almost never got any play on it. But, but here's the here's the bigger bigger question. Well, guess what? It How often was Headbangers Ball? It was not every night. No, it was like on weekends. Yeah. I so say stop and think about that for a minute. You created a genre based on your position in music, but you only did it twelve hours a week. Well, okay, so he was an A and R guy. I don't know if you know that he was an A. Yeah, I know he was an A. Signed, he signed uh, Ace Frehley to his big solo career. Remember all those Ace Frehley? Remember all those Ace Frehley albums that nobody bought? (laughs) That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Jeez, that's my claim to fame. I I signed up a contract for a guy who's already famous and did nothing. That's right. Remember Jakey Lee's um, big um, solo albums that that everybody owned? Wait, which ones? Yeah, exactly. That they're out there. I know um, they are. I have them. Yeah, and yet he talked about Nitro like they all, like they didn't exist. He was like, "Yeah, there was this. It was this band Jim Gillette was in called Nitro. They didn't really." I was like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." Um, <laughs> I, I guess because they weren't on your radar, Eddie. <laughs> I, I I think I think his career was overinflated by the fact that he was on Headbanger Ball, and I think, think he's got a huge head. And I think not not physically, but I think he's got a really he he thinks he's something special, and he's because they know that he's got a radio show, and you've still got to promote, and he does have you know it's a serious XM show, so unfortunately they still have to talk to him. I mean, he's kind of like probably that cousin in the. No, no, I'm not saying that the artist should feel any more or less respect towards him. I'm saying he needs to take it down a notch and start realizing that his career depends on these people. That that's exactly right. His career, his whole his whole livelihood wouldn't exist if they didn't do the work. And that's the thing that I don't I, I don't think I, I don't know. But anyway, so he was talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, which he's mostly a metal guy, right? So Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, the movie. right? And uh, he said, well, there's this there's this Rocky Horror esque uh, interactive version that's going to come out for a limited run in limited theaters for for fun for people that want to do the karaoke slash interact with the movie type thing now let me tell you something i grew up in the rocky horror picture show era that was huge it yeah, still we talked about your cross-dressing <clears throat> yeah it still happens 20 minutes down the road from me i probably won't be wearing um uh you know uh a teddy to it but i'm going to take my kids so you can see what it's like because we just added the time work to our set list so i wanted to see it in action anyway um so we um uh i, I was i was remembering this and i'm thinking that was one of the most fun things i did on weekends in my you know late um in my late teens and early 20s was to go to the rocky horror picture show and just have a blast with a bunch of people who were drunk stoned and otherwise out of their minds and just have fun you know how many people i've met and how many sure sure and it's everybody it's like all walks of life and stuff and like i get it right Um, it was it was a blast you haven't done it you do it once Queen is the most, everybody sings Queen music. Like, right. don't act for a second like you can actually sing it. Right. But everybody, when they're driving in their car and they hear some, you know, yeah. crazy little thing called love or whatever yeah. coming on there, right. like, you're like, oh, yeah. Crazy little thing called love. Yeah, yeah. everybody's yeah. doing it. Everybody doing is. It. Well, just relax. Uh, you, know? you know what's really funny <laughs> is when I drive down the road and, like, I see somebody, like, like jamming away in their car, I'm always, like, trying to picture what Queen song are they singing. Yeah, because like, because you know it's a Queen song. Like you're just like sitting there, like yeah, I'll bet you that's um that's a, a little fashion lover boy or something. You know, like yeah, yeah. ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I would, I mean, I would go to that. 
Yeah, me too. I, so I don't know. And he's like, I think it's stupid. Yeah, that sucks. And I, I that, that would ruin the movie for me. Well, nobody asked you to go. Hey, right? Eddie Trunk. Why don't you stay you home? Don't fucking like it. Real- Buy it on DVD and watch it later. Exactly. Let's go real metalhead, Eddie. And why don't you stay home and have some tea and watch? I want to be grumpy and listen to Pantera while I I don't put my pants on in the morning because I'm not a good person. Where? (laughs) Where are my drugs? People are having fun (laughs) and they don't want to do what I want to do. Those fuckers are having fun. I can't like them anymore. I hate you because you enjoy yourself. <laughs> you know what Eddie Trunk needs? I figured it out, Jim. He needs a therapist. He does, he does hate a therapist. He needs to yeah. hang out with, with Dave Mustaine's therapist. Yeah. I bet yeah. he could get him on the right track. I'm telling you, man. It's just, ah. Uh, so, you know, hey, I just realized something, Jim. Some yeah. kind of monster. That's not about Metallica. It's about Dave Mustaine. No. It's about Eddie Trunk, who must have created Metallica. It's about Eddie Trunk, that's right. And as a who matter of fact, created Metallica. Didn't at the end of the thing, the whole band said something like "Thanks to Eddie Trunk for our yeah, career." Yeah, I think he's actually listed in the, in the end credits. Yeah, you guys should watch it all the way to the end credits. You'll you'll see the part. You gotta you gotta watch all the way to the end where the band comes out and says, "We love you, Eddie Trunk. We we thank you for everything that's ever happened in metal music to this day." I'm sure, I'm sure they did. I like, that just sounds like something every metal musician says to Eddie Trunk. (laughs) I mean, I mean, living color. I, they absolutely owe everything they do. Even the, even the, you know, their, their ethnicity, they owe to Eddie (laughs) Trunk. You know, the only person I ever saw actually kind of feel like he was kissing his butt was, uh, um, Scott Ian. You know what? And Scott Ian is like the last guy. The last guy. I, like, to be honest with you, like Scott Ian is so not metal. Not metal. It's, you know, it, Anthrax, like, so Anthrax had some good stuff in the beginning when they were actually they a thrash metal band. Right. And then right. when they stopped and they were like, now we're going to do this rap rock thing. That's when Scott Ian took over in my mind. Like, yep. this is Scott Ian to me. It's like the guy that's like, ah, I'm not really metal, but, but I'm kind of in a metal band and I'll have the goatee and stuff to look like a metal. But in reality, I really like rap music more than like metal. Like, you remember what I was talking about? Um, like metal players that don't look tough and don't look that. That's yeah, Scott. Dude. That's no, Scott. it's not that he's. You know what it is? He doesn't have the attitude. No, of a metal player. Like, like he's always big smiles and like talking about shit that you wouldn't expect. Not that I don't like him. I think on every VH1 fucking like, hey, let's look, take a look at the, how this album was recorded. He's there. He's there yep. somewhere. Yep. You know they're talking yeah, about. They're talking he came about out of the toilet. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about Blondie, right? And like yeah. he's like washing his hands from getting out of the shitter. And he's yeah. like, Yeah, <laughs> let me tell you what I think about Blondie. Yeah. And you're like, What do we care? We don't care what you think about Blondie. Why do these interviewers always go to Scott Ian? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Him and Henry Rollins both, right? Yeah. Henry, Henry Rollins. Best to weigh in on everything that's on VH1. Everything. <laughs> It could be about action figures. And he's like, he's like, let's talk. You know, like I got something to say about this. It's like Henry Rollins. I love Henry Rollins. He, he he's, I love him too. I mean, but, he's, and he's actually wrong. I like that he's on all that stuff, but it's just him and the Andrew WK too. That guy that yep. did all the party metal. Like yep. I, I, they use him all the time. And I'm just sitting there and scratching my head. Like what, what makes you the authority in this? Like what well, does Scott, care what you think about it? Isn't he, isn't Scott Ian married to like, um, uh, I think his father-in-law is, is Meatloaf. I wouldn't surprise me. I want to say it's Meatloaf. I mean, 
He's just the kind of guy that he does seem like he'd be the kind of guy that would be fun at a party. Seems like he'd kind of be the fun, you know, like the, the life of a party. Scotty, and, you know, yeah. he, but I, I, I'm wondering why, like you yeah, said, he's the adopted that now she's the adopted daughter of meatloaf. So his, his father-in-law is meatloaf. Yep. And, and I just, I, I have to laugh because it, it's like, okay, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the carpenters. Scotty, Ian, how did the carpenters figure <laughs> what <laughs> you know tell us about your Barry Manilow collection no it's like it's like huh, so tell us about that one time you met Chuck Berry like yes. it's like wait wait what it's like Scotty well, I was taking a pee you know everything. yeah <laughs> and in walks Chuck Berry you know they still playing the guitar they were signed to the same game. label that was like that why they knew each other or whatever like <laughs> he met him one time in the bathroom over it you know a wrist or something I know a guy that actually did that at a gig. This is a, as a, as I have heard many, let's meet somebody at a urinal stories before. Oh my God. So this guy comes in, he's got his guitar around his neck, right? And he, and he's doing this with his left hand while he's peeing. (laughs) Wirelessly goes, goes out, rinses one hand, wipes it off on his jeans and walks out the door. Jackal. Oh, Jackal. Jackal. Yeah. Where the guy guy thought he had a minute or so to pee off the side of the stage behind his amps. And then suddenly they they started and he has to come running around with his fingers down and he puts the guitar in front of it and just goes nuts for like 10 minutes before he can step up. (laughs) Jackal's one of those bands that never got airplay. Yeah, but but when you hear that story, you're like, yeah, that's Jackal. Like that's what it sounds like. They're playing chainsaws on stage. There's no doubt his dick was hanging out. that was hilarious hilarious. those guys that's another band where it's like no eddie trunk made them too he he had to without eddie trunk jackal wouldn't exist yeah no allison chains that's i mean i i heard that eddie trunk was like in the background you know doing the on some of the songs so yeah. one of the um, they had one of these songs on it. It was that rap rock album, that rock rap rock album that you talked about with uh, Scotty and yeah, oh yeah, vocal public enemy. It was uh, bring the noise or whatever. I forget what the yep. name of the record was, but yeah, and they gave Eddie Trump vocal credits because he was one of the people shouting in the background. He probably was. Like, no, he I, was. I, I, I'm sure he was because he is responsible for everything that's happened in in rock or metal <laughs> or even pop music in the last like. Well, since he's been alive, basically. Yeah, he wrote. What year was he born in? Yeah, he wrote "Fear of the Dark" by Iron Maiden. Did he? <laughs> no, he I'm sure he did. No, I'm, Jim, come on. He wrote. He was born he in everything that rushed it. He was born in 1964. So, like, what, what what Beatles album came out that year? Because that had to have been his response. The first one. Yep. Yeah. The first, the first yeah. I, yep. He 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 found them all. He was he was in Germany, and there they were. And he was like, and "I got this. I yeah. got this." He produced, he, as an A&R guy, he signed his first band when he was like an infant. Yep. B- yep. Before he was born, he was kicking his mother in the womb and saying, sign these fuckers. I had to laugh because he was talking about the rush and the whole rush thing. And he, and he uh, was talking about how um, everything after moving pictures sucked. Yeah. You know, and, that, and I'm like, dude, you know, and he's like, I can't, I can't understand why anybody would listen to this. I'm like, you're, you're talking to, you're, you're talking to Getty Lee in five minutes and you're telling people how much his music sucks. <laughs> he's, 
he's no longer he's no longer a part of that metal show. Oh no, that um that ended in 2015. 2015, yep. And then yeah, in, in 2019 he did uh he did backing vocals on Anthrax's cover of a Kiss song Parasite. That's it. Oh my yep. god. Yep. Parasite, he did that uh, too. Yep. He had some other like, thing. And it, it did it um did you get the A and R years? I think he was an A and R guy from what eighty seven or eighty eight yeah, to ninety one or something like that. Is he that? responsible? No, he did so here's some of the bands that he allegedly signed. Um the Beatles. We we covered that one already. Uh, <laughs> Metallica, Anthrax, Van Halen. No, uh, <laughs> well, moving on. Let's go uh, to real. Let's yeah, we, these are the real ones, right? So Anthrax, Raven. TT Quick, Man of War, Overkill, King's X, which is a band that, like, if he didn't sign him, somebody else was gonna. Yeah. Um, Prophet, Icon, and Ace Freely. So, really, out of that list of bands, there's Anthrax. Anthrax, King's oh, X. He was an employee of Megaforce, so they yes. uh, they had signed Metallica and Anthrax. But anyway, um, he earned executive producer credit on some works in the band. So this is not bands he signed. So, uh, yeah, he I, it doesn't say who he signed. These are people that he had an executive producer credit. So Anthrax, Raven, TT Quick, Man of War, Overkill, King's X, Prophet, Icon, and Ace Freely. And as you know, um, being an executive producer just means that like you knew them and they liked you enough and that they were going to credit you on the album and you may not have any impact on it. Um, actually, usually an executive producer position also means you either gave or found money that's just a regular producer jim executive producer sometimes it means you gave or found money a lot of times it just means that you you somehow help the production along and so they give you an executive producer credit and in music a lot of times it means you're just a buddy with the band and like you're really close to them and you have a position of power so we're going to make you an executive yep Yep. Um, and yeah he was with megaforce uh <clears throat> but after that he was a, a radio dj and then yeah i mean he's uh, not really much that metal show and then uh his career is is not that stellar it's a not make out to be a lot more stellar than it is well he makes that yeah. well i mean no i mean I, there are people that are big fans of this guy too yeah um so i and you know if you are a big fan of him we're like no, we're not trying to diss you we're just we're kind of riffing on the fact that like he does portray himself as being slightly more important than history would find him. So especially musical history. Um, actually for him being as big and a part of the scene as he is like his Wikipedia page is very small, very short. There ain't a whole lot going on here. Um, yep. So, yeah. It is what it yep. is, I guess. <clears throat> so uh, um, lastly, I want to, I want to plug somebody. So, Angel and the Stars are going to be touring in the East Coast. Yeah, you've been posting a lot about them. Um, I, I'm going to say something. If you if you have a chance to check the Stars, just listen to a song called "It's a Riot." Coliseum Rock. Actually, it starts Coliseum Rock. It's a riot. Song with Coliseum. Yeah, yeah. Is it, Coliseum Rock is an instrumental that introduces um, "It's a Riot." Um, if you just listen to that one song, you'll see why I love the stars in the seventies and um, they're touring with angel. I don't know if anybody remembers angel. They were another, uh, one of those bands that unless you saw them back then, I mean, never heard of them. Hey, wait, did, did Eddie trunk sign him? No, no, but he did say <laughs> a lot of good things about them, but it, 
it was kind of almost left-handed as far as angel goes. Do they call it backhanded or backhanded comment? <laughs> um, <clears throat> where he said, yeah, it's great that angels getting packed together. Two of the original members are, you know, in this thing, but their big thing was the stage stage show. Cause if you look at angel, first of all, they, they made sure that if you look at angel, the, the logo, if you turn it upside down, it also says angel the way that they wrote the, the logo. Yeah, which yeah, was yeah. A cool thing. I had the first, I had the first record. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, when you're 13 or, you know, whatever, that's that, that's a cool thing. And um, they had this big theatric, kind of like Ghost does. They had this big theatric, you know, thing. Imagine Angel, so it's Angels. So they had this, this big theatric thing going on. The stars were more just straight up rock. They were guys in, you know, tight pants and um, what do you call it? Uh, with girls screaming for them and, and um, singing songs that at the time, were um, lyrics that you just didn't get on the radio. Right. Um, you know, the, the songs like Cherry Baby in It's a Riot. They asked, you know, um, uh, where was I last night? I was home, I was out with the police chief's wife. You know, I mean, yeah, those kinds of things just didn't. I mean, this was the 70s. It reminds me of a Deep Purple song called Farmer's Daughter. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Yeah, it sounded so same, you know, it sounds so tame now, but it was so, you know, edgy back then. And uh, we were moving, unfortunately, they hit in the late 70s, which was the, that whole movement towards um, that disco was yeah. in. And so you weren't going to get So Young, So Bad, you know, Cherry Baby and that kind of thing on the radio because people were busy listening and staying alive and night fever. Right, right. But if you get a chance to see them, I am going to try to catch a show, if I can, in New Jersey which means driving from here to New Jersey, catch a show, probably sleep in my car and drive home all stinky and sweaty. Are you going to sleep in the trunk of your car? In the Eddie trunk. As a matter of fact, my trunk is, is, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Eddie trunk because it's called the Eddie trunk. I think the name of this episode is from the trunk. From the trunk. Where's the beef? Yes. And so with... All of these things that we've talked about in this episode, I hope that you've enjoyed our small sport of bullshit. Yes. And um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for those that uh, contribute to the Patreon and watch us live tonight. Uh, I am David. I am a Jim. And tonight we have been your practical guitarist. Practical guitarist. <laughs>